Oh, with my setup. Five, four, three, two, one. Now, most people in America consider Calabasas to be one of the safest places. That's where the Kardashians chose to live. Not Adam Greentree. It's not. <laughs> Adam Greentree lives in Australia, surrounded by brown snakes, which kill you like instantly, right? Don't uh, they not kill instantly. You pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. Bunch of uh, how many spiders do you have that'll kill you instantly? Like uh, a ton of a hundred. A hundred, right? <laughs> you got crocodiles. You've you've bathed. I've saw the the video of you and Cam Haynes in a fucking puddle yeah. that crocodiles swim around in. You <laughs> that guys might have been my idea too. <laughs> <laughs> but yet. The one day he's in Calabasas, which is like the safest place in America. Yeah, untrue, but yep. <laughs> <Keep going. laughs> well, tell me what happened. Well, so I hopped out of the hotel first thing this morning to go and try and find a decent coffee here in America. And uh, there's police surrounding the whole the whole area where the, the coffee shop was. And um, they had guns drawn and everything. And then I heard later that someone actually had a gun out. And there might have even been shots fired. Yeah, crazy stuff. And then I'm like... At a coffee bean? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was at a coffee bean, yeah. yeah. Find out what happened, Jamie. See if yeah. there's a story. Yeah. We can. Uh, I, I said it was probably like some wife mad at her husband. Yeah, it seemed more serious Called in that. the police. He's got a gun. Yeah. Like, that. that's happened before. That yeah. happened with uh, Ron White. I think his girlfriend packed a gun in his luggage. And then uh, that happened with Sam Kinison, too. His girlfriend packed a loaded gun in, in his luggage and then called the police on him. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. But straight away, I'm like, it's safer in the mountains with the grizzly bears and crap. Well, yes, yes and no. definitely is. Yeah. Definitely not safer if you actually run into a grizzly yeah, bear. But for not. the most part, it's pretty peaceful, right? Mm. Yeah, most people are worried about grizzly bears, but you could be around them for days and days and... Most likely, nothing's going to happen. Most likely. Mm. Most likely. But when you, when you were up there, you, did you run into some wolves? Yeah. We seen, uh, well, I seen wolves, and then the grizzly bear's the one that sort of really scared me. Um, I had a handgun out, and I actually had to draw that handgun a few times while I was up in the mountains. <sighs> yeah, there was one real big grizzly, like size 11 boots, that um, come in around camp and was hunting all the trails around Size camp. 11 boots, so it's like a 12-foot, a 12-inch pad? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. How scary. big do you think it was? Did you see the actual bear itself? Yeah. So once I actually killed the bull, which was about day 10 or 11, he was sleeping on the carcass about 60 meters from it. He was sleeping on yeah. your carcass? Yeah. And then... He slept on it. Did yeah. he eat some of it? He didn't touch it. What? Yeah. It was like the first day. So so I killed that bull in the afternoon, uh, packed out a decent load of meat that night, went back in the first morning, the next morning to pack out the rest of the meat and was going in there looking, thinking there could be a bear on the carcass. And sure enough, I seen a bit of brown hair in the creek bottom. So he's just sleeping on just it? Just sleeping there. And so I yelled at him. He pricked his ears up and had a look around. I yelled at him the second time and he jumped up and he disappeared like that, like scary. That's how quick he... This is thick timber, a lot of deadfall and everything. And he just disappeared through that. And it actually got me thinking that... If you didn't see a bear coming from a distance, handgun, bear spray, whatever you've got, you'd be in serious trouble because he just left that scene dead quiet and in a flash. They can move so fast in those pads that they have on the bottoms of their feet. It makes them so Padded silent. and quiet, yeah. Yeah, and you would think that a you know, thousand-pound animal wouldn't be able to move that yeah. quick. Yeah, so I'm strapping meat to my pack. Uh, obviously, there's always a blind spot when you're hunched over and... It, I reckon it took me three times longer to get the meat on my pack because I was just constantly looking over, waiting for that bear to come back. Because I haven't actually been to the carcass again yet. 
I've seen the bear on the way back in. Pretty scary. How big was it? Giant, big. <laughs> <laughs> like 11 feet tall? Yeah, it'd be 11 like feet tall. <laughs> yeah, scary. So, and you're alone. Yeah. Deep, at, deep, 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 deep into the, the mountains. At the end of hunt, I was talking to the fishing game warden in the area, and a big grizzly had gone into another hunter's camp on the mountain and just absolutely destroyed his camp. Now, I don't know if it was the same bear or a different bear, but on three occasions, a big brown bear or grizzly come back into my camp. And each night that he'd come in, he'd get a little bit closer. So the first night he circled camp about 50, 60 metres away. The next night he circled camp about 30 metres away. And the third time he came in, he come right into the back of camp, like 15 metres away, let out this gnarly growl. And at this point, my buddy Grant Hughes has come in to help me pack out some meat. He's in his tent. I'm in my tent when you hear this bear walking in through the snow and lets out a growl. I didn't want to go, like, Grant, did you hear that? Or, Grant, there's a bear in camp. I I didn't want to let the bear know that I'm in the tent, man. I just laid there dead quiet. I had the handgun sitting on my chest, loaded, ready to go. And um, I I laid awake for, like, three hours. Like, you heard the bear walk off. And I laid awake for three hours, and I get up in the morning, and I'm like, dude, did you hear that bear? And he's like, did I hear the bear? Holy shit, dude. I didn't want to move or make a sound. He had the same idea as me. didn't want to give away his location. And I'm like, yeah. It's like, took me three hours to get to sleep. And he's like, sleep? You got fucking sleep? What the fuck? <laughs> he was like hell pissed off, man. He laid awake all night. Well, you're in like a tent burrito. You're yeah, a human, exactly. Human yeah. burrito. And you're even staying warm in your sleeping bag, you know? Like, he's got to be able to smell you, too. They must know you're in sure. there. Yeah. What I wonder if if they were be, well if they smell you and then they smell the meat what they would be more attracted to? Don't know. I don't reckon I smell real good, so hopefully the meat. <laughs> I bet they like things yeah. that don't smell good. They though. probably do. Yeah, meat was hanging up probably a good mile from camp at, at like because we had a few different drop points because it was right. such a it was four days hike out with meat, so we had different drop points along the way, and I never wanted to take any meat in the camp except for what I'd be eating each night which uh, cooked meat might smell pretty good to a bear, but I was more concerned about the scent that, that we would be carrying on our boots from meat site to meat site and then walking back into camp. But that bear had already been in the camp. He, he knew where we were, and he was doing his rounds, obviously, every night. Have you done an adventure like this before? This is an epic adventure because you went to Montana. You, you, know, you parked... And then how many miles did you go deep into the woods? Uh, it was probably about 12 miles in the end. That's no trails or anything like that, 12 miles in. 12 miles into Montana. Yeah. I mean, that is, Montana is, if, you, if folks have never visited Montana, is one of the most unspoiled parts of America, like r- below Alaska, mm-hmm. but not far below it. Yeah. You're, so you're already super remote, like we're already yeah. a long way from anywhere. And parked at a trailhead, and then so obviously I I had eleven days solo by myself, and then my buddy Grant come in to help me pack that bull out. Uh, end up being fourteen days in the end by the time we got the meat out. Wow! Yeah, it's cool. I've done done similar adventures because a lot of home, back home in Australia is all super remote. So ninety um, percent of it's back country, really back home. Um, but it's a different kind of backcountry. It's when you're a different sort of backcountry. Bears. Yeah, it definitely is. This was solo, minimal uh, gear because everything's in your backpack that you've got for the hunt. Um, so it's super light, and you're cutting down on a lot of essentials that you need. You know, just just to get back in there. How, when you do this, I've been obsessed with uh, lightweight backpacking lately. It's I've awesome. been <laughs> I've been paying attention to um, these guys that do the Appalachian Trail. Yep. They, they hike from. 
Georgia all the way up to Maine. It takes five months. That's insane. They're insane. But it's one of those things. The, there's a real problem with the human brain. It's like we were talking about our pal Cam Haynes mm. in this 200-mile uh, run he just did. And when, when there's a challenge in front of you and you find out that someone has done it before, you start going, hmm, man, maybe I could do 200 miles. He's like, there's something <laughs> fucked up about people's brains where when yeah. you find that someone's doing something, like, I have zero desire to take five months out of my life and walk from Georgia to Maine. Yeah, but, but I bet you once you got it done, that's the difference. Well, part of my brain was like, hmm. hmm. I, I started thinking about it and then I'm like, shut up, stupid. You're yeah. not fucking hiking <laughs> to Maine. Stop it. But part of me was like listening to this guy. Um, it was on uh, the Rich Outdoors. You've done Rich's yeah, podcast yeah, for yeah, it. It's cool. his podcast. One of his buddies is a uh, a trail guy, and they were talking about like lightweight gear and how they can't they pack the difference between what a guy uses for hunting and what someone uses for uh, like just these long, 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 long hikes, where they essentially wear the same clothes for five months. Mm, that sounds hygienic. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem, well, I mean, I guess maybe you get a chance occasionally to wash them mm. somewhere, but they everything is like the lightest possible stuff that you could have. Mm. And what, when you do this, so if you're going to go out there and you're, you, you know, you're planning on how many days? 15. I wanted 15. to do at least half the month in Montana and I wanted to do the other half of the month in Idaho. So 15 days and a little bit of the trip's got to be unprepared in a sense when you're doing 15 days it that sort of hunt because the, the country's like straight up and down there's there's no other way to do it there's no i'm going to drive to the ridge line or i'm going to walk a decent trail to the ridge line or take an atv and it's just all on foot straight up and down country so and and to have a little bit of roughness to a trip like that you know where you are, you are roughing it that's that's a bit of the appeal as well you yeah. know and, and the experience in doing it so um I was just talking with, with the guys at Hoyt and they, they were asking um, what's the essentials that you had in your pack that you wouldn't go without. And I'm like, well, how about I tell you about the stuff that I wish I had in my pack and that I didn't go without. Like what stuff do you wish I you didn't, had? I didn't take any rain gear in. What? I didn't take any rain gear in and I didn't check the weather before I went in deliberately because I didn't want any deterrent on the trip. Like, oh, it's going to snow or it's going to hail or there's going to be gale force winds. I shouldn't go in today or I should pack this extra. I just I wanted to ignore all that, just go in, just live in the wilderness basically with the minimal. And um, I got all that weather. I got hail three times. I got gale force winds. I got rain followed by snow. So soaking wet, then freezing cold. And you just had to stay active the whole time. Like I'd, I'd literally get to a mountain and I'd sit down for two minutes and you'd go from to sweating to freezing cold because you're wet and actually hiked the mountain just to get warm. Were you wearing wool? Nah, all synthetics. So th synthetics, in some in some cases, it's uh, harder to maintain your body temperature when, yeah, you, when you th sweat, right? There's pros and perks to both, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've got a synthetic sleeping bag as well. It weighs a little bit more, but I could jump in that sleeping bag wet at night and wake up in the morning dry. That's that's a little bit of the difference, and it will dry out the next day, and uh, it doesn't get, never carries any weight. Your synthetics, so I just had like a small uh, hoodie, a little hoodie, and I had some undergarments, and that was about it for the, the whole trip. But as far as like sweating in your clothes and getting your stuff wet, wool maintains body temperature better. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Next of skin is really good. So like Under Armour's got some really good next of skin clothing. 
and I'll get wet in that next to skin clothing and stay warm because it is it's it's similar to a wetsuit. You know, mm-hmm. a wetsuit's designed to have um, some liquid in it, and the liquid gets warm and keeps your body warm. That next to skin clothing's the same, where it's sitting right on your skin and it's going to stay warm like that. So is it like a spandex almost or something? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it mm. looks. Um, bit pansy when you're walking around <laughs> like a superhero <laughs> yeah like robin hood and tights so so that was a fuck up right you should have probably brought some rain gear well i don't want to call it a fuck up because i deliberately deliberately done it right um to keep weight down so it's but like, how much weight is like a lightweight rain poncho um i don't want to know <laughs> a few <laughs> let's, ounces let's just say it was really heavy and i couldn't carry it <laughs> it um, seems like it's not that but, heavy yeah but where do you stop where do you right. stop, dude? Right. You know, it's just, well, that is the big question, right? Yeah, it's it's where do you stop? And I was already hiking in going, this is killer. Like, this is hurting. Um, How heavy was your pack? Yeah, I don't get into that sort of stuff. You don't weigh it? Nope. I don't really? weigh it. I don't, yeah. You just go, okay, same, same with the food. I'll just mm-hmm. go, there's a dinner. There's there's some lunchtime snacks. Now, there, if There's you... some energy and that's it. If you go in for 15 days, how many days worth of food do you carry? I only took in 10 because I was... You confident assume. of killing a bull right I was, uh, yeah exactly yeah and um i didn't run out because i shot a grouse and i cooked the grouse up then i killed my bull and i was eating meat and i was even cooking meat and then packing it the next day to eat cold which obviously helped and it's a have you heard this story about me and cam going on the the arnhem land trip in the northern yes, territory yeah, not but packing any food people haven't heard this he tell me <laughs> Well, you, this is the most ridiculous <laughs> yeah. thing ever because you guys had to filter buffalo piss water because yeah, yeah. buffalo still tastes like piss. The uh, color went out of it, but it had the same taste, it had the same smell. Uh, and my question is, if the water's filtered, shouldn't the smell leave it? Yes, it should, shouldn't it? Yeah, you're drinking yeah. piss. You're drinking piss, basically. You for sure, for sure, you guys drank piss. I bet you it's got hell awesome energy in it, though. Because of buffaloes? Yeah, I yeah. suppose. Why don't you just suck a buffalo's dick? You feel even better about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what energy I have. This is amazing. I don't know why you would think you'd get pissed. Uh, I'd tell him to do it first, at least. <laughs> I told him to drink the water first? Yeah, yeah he can test it. He's well, fine. Well, they have those crazy filtration systems where you, like gravity filters. Is that what you used? Yeah, so I took one of those in the mountains on this trip as well. Mm-hmm. I, I never pulled it out. I never used it once because I was always drinking water from the highest source, like directly where it's coming out of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you're okay? You don't have to worry about... Go- no, I don't, know, I don't want to say yes, because everyone will go and do it and get sick yeah. and sue my ass. But I've never, I've always had an iron stomach, and I think it's from just doing all that sort of stuff as a kid. You, you, you sort of grow with that, and I huh. think your, body's, your, your body creates its own defense against, against things like that. I'm a massive believer in that, actually. Hmm. It's the same with being dirty, you know, like, like personal hygiene is obviously a big thing, but... Um, you know, I'll eat a I'll eat a chocolate bar with with elk blood all over my hands after skinning or or deboning an elk, and I think that's perfectly natural and normal in that sense. Um, I've never been sick. I've drunk some silly looking water like that, but I just think if you're at the top of the mountain where the water's first coming out of the hill, out mm-hmm. of the rocks, then you're safe because there's nothing along the line there like a an old animal carcass, friggin' wolf shit sitting in the water or something right. like that to make you sick. It's coming right out of the ground. It's coming right so out of the ground. So you can, like, literally catch it as the stream is... Yeah. yeah. Well, that and, makes sense. That's like a well. And that's handy as well because I'm camped at the top, so I want to find the highest water source so I don't have to drop down so far each day. Right. Collect water. Um, 
Yeah, it's always a good feeling, actually, when you come across fresh water like that. So how many liters is your pack? How, how heavy is your pack? It's a 2200. Oh, it's a small pack? Yeah, yeah. It's wow. Not a, not a big ha- pack That's very small. Yeah. It's it's the Badlands. That's crazy. Use a 2200 liter pack for a 15 day hunt? Yep. That's how light I'm going in. Wow. I have a, I have a couple of things that are strapped to that pack which would make it bigger than that. Mm-hmm. But generally, everything fits inside that pack. So what's in the pack? Do you uh, take a jet boil? Yeah, that's... Yeah, so I've, I've got similar. It's a MSR reactor. They're really good. You can actually... I used it in the cold. It was that freezing in my tent. Like, the whole tent froze over. That um, I actually turned it on in the tent to warm the tent when I was getting changed or unchanged at night. A little bit mm. pansy, but, hey, it got it done and put a smile on my face. <laughs> Boils water super quick. You know, so if the weather's miserable and you just want to get it done, it boils water super quick for and you. And you run on a tank of propane, small? Yeah, just a real little backpack one. Mm-hmm. And then because I went in there when it was stinking hot, like it was it was cooking, like it was the hottest weather you'd have. You wouldn't even imagine having a fire in that weather from risk of a wildfire, you know, starting the bushfire, to, you know, it hailed, it rained and it snowed, everything got wet. It was safe at that point to have a fire. And then a lot of the cooking that I end up doing was just over the fire. I was saving my gas each night because um, I would have ran out of gas before those 15 days were up if I was using just that one canister the whole time. And that you'd end up having to pack out, go into town, buy the gas and then pack all the way back in. You'd end up losing two days because it, it was a full day walking out with no weight at all, like just speed walking down the mountain trying to get out of there was a full day. So, um, yeah, I've got my reactor. I've got my water filter, but like I said, I never used it. I've got a small one-person tent, a mattress, a really good sleeping bag. It's actually overrated for the conditions, but I always think you're better off going overrated. You get some bad weather like I had, and you've got an underrated sleeping bag, and you're not getting sleep. You're going to miss hunting hours for sure. Um, then I've just got a couple of knives. I've got a, a full safety kit, um, bandages. Um, I've actually been carrying, I didn't use them on this trip either, but a, a little like a water filtration pill, mm-hmm. which is always handy. So you didn't have to carry your filter kit every day. If you come across some decent water that was down low, you could just put the pill in. But um, where a lot of people go wrong with these filtrate, uh, the water filtration and the pills is you still require both if you come across dirty water because the pill's only going to kill bacteria within reasonably clear water. It's not going to kill the solids. So if you're scooping up dirty water, putting a pill in and then drinking it, anything with, that's within the solids of that water, you're still going to get sick from. So you, mm. you, in, in a sense, you still, you still need the, the two of them if you're doing a hunt like that. But the, the water filtration's awesome because it's 99.999% of all bacteria it's going to filter out of your water. And the pills are what? Like it's a chlorine or something? Yeah, they're like a chlorine pill. Yeah, there's a few different ones out on the market. So you take those essentials, you essentially wear in the same clothes every day? Same clothes every day. I take a few, change the socks and underwear, and um, yeah, same clothes, clothes every day. And then if I did get a hot hot day this was the plan it never ever happened but if i did get a hot day and i came past a stream i was actually going to wash some clothes in like a dry bag just a bit of water and the clothes and then hang them up and i just never got that break in the weather and i wanted to hunt every day and every minute of light so i'd just get up in the morning and put wet clothes on if i didn't dry them on the fire that night so it sounds like most of the weight in your pack is food generally yeah just 10 days of food and how many pounds of food do you take in a day around two yeah maybe a bit less 
Yeah, hmm. might have been a bit less. I smash the chocolate bars when I'm out there in Do the you? mountains. Oh, dude. Why chocolate bars? I smash chocolate at home, but when I'm in the mountains, I really <laughs> smash chocolate. Um, I just like that bit of a fix and a bit of a, it's a bit of a pick you up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to keep you going. And it, it's no different than a fire, you know, like if you get a fire going at night, it's that like bit of a boost, like mm-hmm. a spirit, spirit boost. And it's the same as a chocolate bar, just to sit down and, and hoe away on a chocolate bar. Just, yeah, uh, life's good. Keep going. Doesn't uh, okay. Matter. But <laughs> yeah. like, uh, but as far as like energy, don't you crash when you have one of those things? Did you go up high and nah. then get a sugar crash? No, nah, I don't really crash. No? It's funny. I hear it with a lot of people, but <clears throat> yeah, I never crash. Well, Brendan Burns was saying the same thing. He, he brings like Snickers bars. Yep. Snickers bars are really good. Milky Ways. They're like a Mars bar back in Australia, mm-hmm. but like Milky Ways here. Anything sugary. <laughs> it's huh. good. Well, I also would imagine the amount of calories you're burning when you're walking up mountains like that. Yeah. With a pack on, a heavy pack. It's huge. I had, um, but I had the desire to actually go and do this trip and do a bit of weight loss at the same time. I think if I wasn't going to do weight loss at the same time, then I'd probably pack some more food, some more goodies. But um, So you did it on purpose? Like yeah, saying, I did it on I purpose. I need to lose some weight. Yeah, so I'll just... I did. And I, and I did. I lost weight. Yeah, I lost a lot of weight doing it. But yeah, def- definitely done it on purpose. There'd be some some days where I'd just have um, a snack in the morning for breakfast, like a, an energy bar, an actual energy bar in the morning, and I'd go all the way through. And I wouldn't I wouldn't hike back in the camp till eleven thirty at night because I was trying to stay out where I thought the bulls were, and I'd have a quick dinner in camp that night, and that was it. And I wouldn't even feel hungry throughout the day. Um, I think it's just from being so active and obviously good water intake whenever you can. Um, I just, there was never a point where I'm like, oh, far out, I'm starving today, you know, I'm not going any further until I eat or anything like that. It was just, it was all go, 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 and yeah. Now, when you d- take a plan like this, when you decide to go on a deep, deep mountain hunt mm-hmm. like this, <clears throat> what do you, uh, how do you pick where you're going? Are you uh, you studying Google Earth? Are you getting tips from people? Studying Google Earth's the big one. Yeah. And, um I'd suggest for anyone that wants to do a backpack hunt, you know, like a do-it-yourself hunt, is study Google Earth, and I'd do a radius. I'd look for a radius with the least amount of uh, roads, any sort of infrastructure around it, like the most wilderness-looking area. Even away from trailheads, I hate being near a trailhead or where there's a trail that people are going to be walking in on or, or anything like that. Like, I mean, real backcountry. You've got to bush bash it to get in there. Just find... You know, do your research, find the area with with the least amount of activity and then put a dot in the middle or roughly in the middle and that's where you should set up camp and, like, get in there, live with the bulls or whatever animals you're hunting, get in there and live with them. And um, I think not being afraid to fail on a hunt's the big one because, you know, a lot of people, well, there mightn't even be any bulls there, but, you know, who cares? It's going to be an awesome experience anyway. And it's a place that you can tick off the list. Oh, I'm not going back there. There was nothing there. And then next year, try the next spot or the next week, try another spot. Um, I had hunted around that area previously, and I, so I knew there was elk in the area. Um, I just had never been that far back in before. And, and I tell you, the, tell you the truth, it, it nearly completely failed on me because I went days and days without hearing or seeing a, an elk. But the, the, the sign was there to say they were in, in there. It was just that the grizzlies and the, the wolves were hunting that area so hard that it shut the elk up and pushed a lot of them out of the area. Ooh. Yeah, and then I was nearly the new food source. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Wow. So when you get in there and you don't see anything for like a couple of days, like what 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 is the mindset? Like what do you? There's heaps of doubt, and there's always that. It's like you second guess yourself. This was a stupid move. You shouldn't have came in here. You need to change spots. But then it's like, but at the same time, you're experiencing this for a reason. This is how hunting should be. Hunting should be hard. You should hunting should never be unless you've done your research going into a place and there's just like game walking past you everywhere there should always be because that's the hunt right? right finding it or going through the hardship to find it tracking it finding finding where's the better spot within that area so at the same time that my mind's like you know you've made a bad decision this is a crap spot to be there's the whole experience of like nah this is how hunting should be should be difficult you should have to work your ass off to try and find the animal and when you actually do find the animal how much better is it because you know, it's just like if if you hunted for 11 months and you didn't see a bull, you found a bull, you had a shot and you missed, but then the next one you get, how good's that next one that you get, you know, if that was the case? And it was very similar on this trip where I put in all that effort, didn't see an animal, one opportunity, a bull comes in. I, I end up calling that bull from like a mile away. You could just hear him coming up this canyon. And I did that shot and, dude, I teared up. I was crying because I knew how much had gone into it, you know, and, it, and it's not just the effort, but, you know, like obviously I'm, I'm away from my wife, Kim, and the kids. I'm away from the kids for a month now. There's all that sacrifice. There's all the hardship. There's all the effort. There's walking in. There's putting up with that absolutely atrocious weather, and then finally one opportunity comes up and you kill that animal, as well as killing the animal. That's a hard thing to do. Man, I balled up. I was crying. Like I think I cried a dozen times every time i thought about it when i was standing over the bull i was crying wow and i'm like that's why it's got to be that hard so you can appreciate the animal so you realize what has to go into the hunt to actually get something killed should i think every hunt should be like that i hope they're not well there's a <laughs> there's a lot of elk in montana but montana is so huge yeah i mean giant. it's such a massive massive place and the amount of wilderness that you're encountering if you have, you know, herds of elk all over the place, it's super likely that you could, like, wind up in a spot with nothing around you for miles and miles yep. around. Yeah, exactly. So the, 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 I think the hard bit with that country that I've, that I've been going into <coughs> is the wolf population's getting so big. Mm. I know you love wolves. There's pictures of friggin' wolves in this joint <laughs> everywhere. but um, I do love them. I want to shoot one. <laughs> I want to shoot a dozen of them. <clears throat> well, they're scary. Yeah, they well, are definitely scary. It, it's, what's weird is what we were talking about um, before the podcast started. You were talking about Australia and what you call the greenies, mm. which are the green people that want to, um, they don't want animals to die and they want yeah. these populations to explode, but there's not a balance. And that was the idea behind reintroducing wolves was to create a balance because there mm. was a lot of animals that were living in the Yellowstone greater you know Yellowstone yeah, area yeah. and so they introduced these wolves but the problem was they had an agreement when they introduced these wolves that when they reached a sustainable population they reached a certain number several thousand wolves then they would open up a hunting season on them to try to control the population but as soon as they reached that number the people that were involved in the relocation of the wolves and the wildlife protection people and all the people that are like really animal rights advocates, they they backed out of it mm. and they said, no, we don't want any hunting on any of these wolves ever. Yeah. And so there's this big battle. And a lot of states have opened up hunting seasons on wolves, Montana included. But it's still, there's a, a battle. There's yeah. a, a battle to try to control the wolf populations. It's funny. 
like I went, so I went in the Yellowstone last year after my hunt, just, you know, sightseeing and I had all my photography gear and um, I didn't see a single elk. You got to go near where the people are. I saw a ton of them. Isn't that crazy? I was there with my kids. Yeah. We we got I got selfies with with fucking elk. Yeah, They're I didn't see any wolves though either. No, you know? and I was like the whole time I was like fucking wolves. <clears throat> They've wrecked this joint, but I didn't see any wolves either. Well, the elk have decided that people are super safe because no one yeah. has hunted in Yellowstone for you know hundred and whatever yeah. the hell years. So when you go to the visitor area, when you first pull into Yellowstone, like Yellowstone has like this, uh, and this is on the Montana side, mm. Yellowstone has this area where there's like a gas station and there's like a store, and there's fucking elk everywhere. Like, I'll show you on my phone. Crazy, I got, yeah. I got selfies. I got elk selfies. But what, they're, uh, mm. they, they're not even remotely nervous about people. They don't care, yeah. No, you don't, you don't do you shit You know these um, uh, Axis deer that you have in Texas, the Chittle deer? That's Look at your stupid head. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've seen. But yeah, oh, see yeah, there's elk, elk in the background, background too. Yeah. Oh, they're just living in the hotels by the looks of it. Isn't that hilarious? That's cool. They're just chilling back there, and there was a gang of them, man. That's awesome. They were all over the place. They yeah. were. Uh, it's it's really weird because it's like right when you pull into the area, yeah. All, all, you, all you see is like just loads of elk. They're all hanging everywhere. out. Yeah. yeah. So that that the cheetle deer that we have, they go and live near the station. So a, a station in Australia, obviously, is like just like a ranch, you know, like a big farm. Because of the dingoes, just smash the smash the population. So that those cheetle deer, they go and, they go and live near the homesteads because the dingoes are less likely to come around the homestead. Uh. So it's really crazy. And then you move if you're hunting, you'd be like, ah, screw this, I'm going back into the back country. You know, there's going to be heaps more deer back there compared to around the house, and there'll be no deer out there at all. Well, they'll be very limited. There'll be there'll be the stags that are moving through the area, and that's about it. The nucleus of the chittle deer live around the homestead where it's safe. They're not dumb. That's interesting. That's, that's the same thing with deer in mm-hmm. uh, around here. You you find them in suburban areas. Yeah, but yeah. you also find coyotes in suburban areas yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. But less mountain lions. Mountain lions try to avoid human populations more, and that's what usually gets the deer out yeah. here. Yeah. Well, all the news back home has been mountain lions in behind your house, probably. There's quite a few. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. They take pictures of them. There's bobcats. I've seen bobcats out near me. But there's there's uh, mountain lions in California for sure. There's quite a few mm. of them. California is an interesting place because, uh, you know, California, they don't want to control the predators. They want the predators to control the, the game population. And because of that, there's not that many deer here. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, I understand that. It's, yeah. That, I, and I can see the method behind it. You know, it, w- my issue is that humans in a sense are the ultimate predator right and that everything should be not controlled but um you know what's the good way of saying this is that that being the apex predator that we are we are you know we obviously got a part in, in that the whole food chain as well when it comes to things like that some people don't agree with that yeah i understand that and and i can see you know we we're talking before about the wolves being introduced to control the population and the numbers but there's obviously got to be a p- point where the wolves are controlled as well right so who does that well that was all done early early on in north america because of cattle ranchers so what they would do is they would shoot wild horses they had a huge wild horse problem mm. and the wild horse problem is actually uh, it's re-emerging there's quite a few wild horses in north america and they're trying to figure out what to do with them mm. and it's really controversial it's very it's kind of interesting 
Uh, but what they would do back then was they would shoot these wild horses, and then they would shoot a wolf. They would shoot like one of the uh, alphas, and they would take the wolf and rub it and take its scent glands and rub it all over the uh, dead horse and then fill the horse up with strychnine. So the other wolves would come around, they would smell their missing alpha friend, and uh, they would eat the eat this horse carcass, and they would get the strychnine and die. So mm. doing that, they extirpated wolves from the majority of the American West. That's, That's how they crazy. killed them all. Yeah. yeah, it's really. But then they realized that they did a terrible thing by doing that, and mm. so they started reintroducing them. There's a balance somewhere. Obviously, I love wolves. Yeah, I think they're cool as hell. Is, yeah. But there's a, there's a, there is a balance. But the balance is real tricky. It's because like th- there's a, a very small number of them in Washington State, but the the small number of them, the small number of wolf packs, have started attacking cattle ranches, and uh, they're killing these cattle. And so these ranchers want these wolves killed. And so they've decided to kill some of the wolves. And it's a huge controversy mm-hmm. in Washington State because they're like, look, there's not that many fucking yeah. wolves. And you guys are going to kill these wolves because they're killing the cattle. Mm-hmm. But you're going to kill the cattle, too. Yeah, like, yeah. like, if you want to have cattle, <laughs> this is what this is the price you pay. But you, I, I'm sure you've seen how they run cattle out yeah, here. They yeah, just let I, them yeah. roam around on public yeah. land. Mm. You know, when we were in Nevada... We were uh, deer hunting with uh, Steve Ranella. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we saw a lot of deer. Their deer were everywhere. But we saw way more cows. Fucking cows are everywhere. <laughs> and they just, they roam all throughout this public land. And the ranchers pay some sort of a fee. And yep. they, this was, that was what that whole thing was going on. on. Land. Yeah, yeah the, a lot of that happens back home in Australia as well. Yeah, so they roam all over the place. There's fucking cow shit everywhere. We're essentially, we're camping out. So we're sleeping on cow shit. There's nice. cow shit everywhere you was look. Was it comfortable? It was not bad. Did you like spread it out a bit first? Well, I actually wound up sleeping in the back of the Suburban. We had a Suburban, and I was like, uh, why are you guys going <laughs> to sleep on the ground? Would you just fold the seats back and sleep on this flat area? No. So I camped out in the back of a Suburban while these dummies are sleeping <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> on cow patties, like all hunched over. Like, well, they want to uh, be down with sleep. nature, man. Uh, down with cow poo. If you want to be down with nature, take off the sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> you want to really get, but exactly. Yeah. But it's um, you know, these animals. If you're going to let them ro- wander around like that, roam free, which is nice because they're essentially almost wild. Mm. They're free range cattle. They're eating grass. It's the healthiest cattle you could eat. But wolves like to eat them too, and yeah. so it's uh, it's real tricky. It's like, where do you draw the line there? Mm. It's not that many wolves, and these wolves are eating these cows. And but to the ranchers, each cow is worth you know several thousand dollars every time a wolf kills a cow. That's a big loss of income. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's working. There's got to be some sort of line there where we work in conjunction with wildlife, whether yeah. you're a rancher or not, whether you're losing um, income or not. You know, that's that's got to be part of the system. Maybe it should be subsidized by the taxpayers. Instead of killing the wolves, maybe they should subsidize some of these ranchers. I mean, if these wolves are mm. killing. It's only you know a certain amount. If, as long as they've taken some measure of protection, to try to keep the wolves away. But to ensure a healthy wolf population would ensure a balanced ecosystem. Yeah, so you, you, they can't bring it back to where they used to be because where they used to be there was no wolves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a funny thing at home. How you're saying it should be subsidised. Um, so obviously my my business is in um, northwestern Australia for the mines and they've got their own private train line they run their own trains with iron ore and the train line's unfenced so the cattle can cross the train line anytime a train hits one of those cows oh, they've got to pay the farmer you know oh wow and i've heard stories about the farmer just going out and shooting his cattle along the the train line so that the mines pay him pay him for the 
the cows. Oh, really? Because they look like they've been hit. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so maybe we could do something like that with the, where the wolves just pay out every time they kill a cow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some people believe that shit. Well, someone would probably do that. There's probably some uns- unscrupulous people. But that, then they'd get caught and then they'd get prosecuted. Yeah. It would balance itself out. But there's a certain amount of numbers where they the wolves reach a high population number where all the other animals start getting threatened. Like there was a uh, recent situation in Wyoming where these wolves killed 19 uh, elk and didn't even eat them. They just killed them. Just thrill killing. Just fucking around, having yeah. a good time, you know? Yeah. So they will do that. That's the point where obviously we've got to stand in, make yeah. a good decision, whether it's a tag system or, or some sort of culling. You know, I think before the program we are talking about where kangaroos need to be culled because it's it's a little bit like yeah so the the greens don't want to greenies um, the greenies <laughs> you know you they don't want to kill the kangaroos but for the better for the better benefit of kangaroos there has to come a point where the numbers need to be controlled otherwise they eat themselves out of land and home they get diseases and they and it takes weeks to die like a suffering death yeah like no one wants that so you right. can't be just for one and not the other my buddy Mike Hawkridge, he lives up in uh, BC, in uh, northern BC, British Columbia, and uh, he he was attacked by a wolf. Like he had shot a wolf in midair as it was jumping at him. They have so many wolves up there that they have literally uh, had open season. Like there's no tag limits. You could shoot wolves Sounds all like day I long. Sounds like I need to go there. Yeah, it's we went up there and this is uh, we were moose hunting. That's where I got this one, and uh, we found a calf that had been torn apart by wolves. And it was really fascinating. But he put this up on his uh, Instagram. His um, his Instagram is BC Outfitter. BC this is, Outfitter. This is him last night. Like, listen to this shit. Oh, that's awesome. This is just last night. I'd be howling back. Come <laughs> well, in, baby, well, and that's see what, what happens. It started. He actually started it. He uh, started the howl. We can hear it here. Ah. Yeah, he called them. Got that's him. That's eerie, that sound. When you're in camp by yourself and you hear that Fuck. going all the way around you. That's, what a fucking awesome it's animal, cool though. and eerie at the same it's time. It's the coolest animal ever. Because mm. they're smart. Yep. They operate in packs. They have a really complex social system. I'll, I'll tell you this cool little story. When I was in Northwest Territory, like just above the Arctic Circle, the first time I've been into that country, like the Mackenzie Mountains, and I was actually hunting moose, but I had a wolf tag as well. And the very first morning, like, we get up out of the tent, we walk out up the river, I'm with a guide, Byron, and I see, like, a pack of wolves coming down the river. So they'd been hunting that area. I think it end up being day three, they, they chased a caribou up and down the river, like, just to a lavering sweat. Then they chased it in the river and they surrounded it in the, wi- the river. And that caribou, and it was a bull as well, got to the point, its whole body was quivering because it's been really hot, and then it's been chased into this freezing cold river. At that point, the wolves just left it and they all went up and sat in the sun because they're all wet as well. They went and sat in the sun and they got all dry and then it was like Mother Nature just took over from that point. They, they, they got the caribou to the point where they knew it was going to die and left it and ended up fo- it couldn't hold its own legs up and ended up laying down in the river and drowning in the river. Whoa. How cool is that that they knew that? 
so the the wolves get to the point where they're like, okay, we've got to go and sit in the sun now and dry out. This thing's dead anyway. We're just going to come back to it in an hour once it's drowned in the river. What the fuck? How do they know that? That's crazy. And then by that afternoon, that caribou was just a rib cage. Like they just, they absolutely plucked every bit of meat and the organs out of that caribou. Wow. How cool is that? That's, I've got photos of it, actually. Yeah. Do you real work? Do you have them online anywhere? They're probably on my Instagram, early days Instagram. Yeah, so Adam Greentree Bowen and just I, go I on I tagged them on my Instagram, so see if you could find those, Jamie. Yeah. But uh, You'll see this caribou just standing in the water, and um, like it was just quivering. It was, it was done. It was done, and they knew that it was done, and they're just like, oh, we'll come back in an hour and eat. How fucking smart are they? Mm-hmm. How fucking smart are they? Yeah, they know so that. so cool. Have you also heard that in their spore, um, there's um, something that, like elk, if they sniff it, it stays in the the dirt forever. So they basically shit it out, stays in the dirt forever. An elk will go along grazing and eat the grass, and this spore attacks the elk's lungs, and it shrinks the lung capacity. So it it basically makes the elk tired when they're running for the wolf to grab them at a later date. Wait a minute. So hey, can we eat, look this up? They eat this the elk. Crazy. They shit out the, the what what they ate. Yeah. And spores. Spores are released into the dirt when the elk's eating, eating the grass. They they take it into their system, and and it reduces their lung capacity. It, it reduces their lung capacity. So it's like they're poisoning the elk before yep. they jack them. Yeah. What? Is that not the ultimate predator or that not? That is insane. Yeah. How is nature so complex? I don't know. It's cool, isn't it? It's so amazing. Well, the thing about wolves now, too, that's really kind of cool. See, I'm so torn. I'm so torn. Because on one (laughs) hand, I love elk hunting. I love elk. I love the idea that they're out there and they're wild. But I'm a big fan of wolves. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that these wolves are so fucking badass. How many ranches right now are going, fuck you, Joe Rogan? (laughs) Well, my friend Mike, where he lives in BC, his neighbor's ranch, a gang of them, Mm. jumped a cow. Yeah. Like, they got got hungry in the winter and they said, you know, let's just fucking do this. How much easier of a feed is that? Pretty easy. An elk that runs flat out, that's got legs that stand this tall off the ground, or a fat cow that's down here that that won't even run away, you know? It's it's penned in, too. The the elk mm. was penned in. Or the cow, rather, was cow, penned yeah. in, and they 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 jumped the jumped the fence, I yeah. guess. And just this is rawr. this is one of the things that's so appealing to me about bow hunting. It's not actually just bow hunting; it's the whole outdoors, it's the whole picture. Yeah. And wildlife, when you get into it like this, and you start looking at it and thinking about it, it's crazy. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Well, we're so filtered from it for the most part. Most people's interaction with wild animals is the zoo or a squirrel. Yeah. You know, who look, I see a skunk. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, there's an eagle. Yeah, oh, my crazy. goodness. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I saw an eagle. Like, it's a big day. Yeah. But to actually go to a place like where you went and to hear, ooh. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are always like, oh, that's crazy. That's cra-. It's actually not that crazy when you go out and experience. That sort of thing's happening all the time. It's just that people are so disconnected because they're not out there experiencing it. I was telling a story about like, we've got a wedgetail eagle at home. And I can hear this pig squealing, like, reed, reed. I'm like, like, uh, like my ears just can't pick up where this pig squealing's coming from. And it's going straight over the top of my head. There's a wedgetail eagle with this pig. And it flies it over. It knew exactly what it was doing. And flies it, gets it up real high, and it drops it perfectly over this rocky outcrop on the mountain to open it up. <sighs> like, that's like me and you going, I need a steak knife to cut into this meat. Yeah. That eagle's just going, I need a rocky outcrop. To cut into this meat and drop it. How big it on. was the pig? 
Yeah, it's pretty decent. It's like this. Like 40 pounds, 50 yeah, pounds? 40 pounds, maybe 30. I've seen them uh, drop goats off cliffs. Yeah. Like the goats are climbing cliffs and the eagle swoops down and grabs a hold of it and is like, get, get yeah. over here. How about that video with that? The eagle tries to pick up the baby out of the pram or whatever. And I don't like, think that's real. Oh, you don't? Yeah, I think that's Damn fake. Yeah. Stupid internet. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I'm sure that's probably happened before. Oh, it's def definitely yeah. happened. If you, when you look in the eye of an eagle, you realize, oh, yeah, that thing would eat a baby. Yeah. Like, the idea that it wouldn't eat a baby is a joke. They're built for it. It's just another animal. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Kid. No, no offense to anyone's babies. But yeah, no offense. I love babies. Animals, yeah. But it, the reality is... <laughs> There's a great video of this guy in Alaska. Uh, we've played it on the podcast before, the guy with all the eagles in his yard. Eagles in Alaska are so prevalent. I have a friend who goes up there, and she was telling me that they're like pigeons. She's like, they're like fucking pigeons. They're everywhere. Like, you don't even care anymore. Yeah. Like, get these fucking things out of here. But this guy's got this backyard, and in his backyard, he's got fucking hundreds and hundreds of eagles. I mean, maybe not hundreds. Maybe a hundred? Fifty? Fifty over, eagles, ten, over thirty. <laughs> over 30. Okay, over thirty. <laughs> but they're fucking everywhere. Is this the video? Is this the same one? So what it is is he's got. Uh, where did I come up with hundreds? How dare me? So he's got a bunch of fish that he's got laid out. Oh, that's cool. And uh, they've got it. I'm like, look at this. Look at all these fucking eagles Fire. just walking around this guy's backyard. This ain't shit compared to what we're gonna show you in a minute, folks. But um, these eagles are wandering around this guy's yard, and he has his kid take a bucket of fish and dump it out for these eagles and i just would not be that confident having these fucking monsters oh, come near my cool. kids no that'd be oh man those are raptors man yeah this is i don't know my little girl would exactly run out there the same and try video. And grab each one of them god look at this thing they're so weird yeah. it's they're such cool. a that's weird a, animal that's a living dinosaur right there oh it really is yeah it's such a weird animal too it's just so strange that we chose that heartless monster as the American bird. You know, I mean, couldn't couldn't the American animal be like a puppy or something? Yeah, cute? we've got like on our coins, we've got like platypus and wombat. Nothing oh. with teeth, nothing with claws. That's a good move because this thing is just a living dinosaur, like literally yeah. a raptor, a flying raptor. Look at it, it's just creeping oh, up to it. It cool. wants it wants that fish, but it doesn't want to take a chance of getting shot. I want one. An it's eagle. Yeah. I got like we're up on my property up in the mountains on my farm. We've got a couple of wedge tails that, that hang around up there and whenever we kill a deer we leave the carcass out. I'll put a scouting camera on it and stuff like that and just to see these things come down and eat and what they do is so cool. Now a wedge tail eagle is it the size of a golden eagle or a a bald eagle? Like, yeah, how big they, is it? They get a couple of meters in wingspan. They're huge. Oh wow. Yeah. So it is like that big. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever seen the um harpy eagle? That's the biggest one. Really? So, yeah, it lives in Venezuela, and they eat monkeys, and it's uh, it's fucked up to watch, shit. man. It's Imagine really being crazy. a monkey. How yeah. stressful would your life be? <laughs> I think about that shit all the time. Like, I'd just be straight up stressing the whole time. I'd just lay out and be like, just get it over and done with. Yeah, there's a, oh, and they love sloths, because sloths are just designed to get fucked up by yeah. eagles. I love sloths, but too. This, cool. this eagle is goddamn huge. Look at the monkey's like, fuck this. The monkey's like, get out of here, man. But the sloth can't do anything. They're just so slow. They can't do shit. Shit. Except for stare at it and go. Look, off. look at he just walks up to it and grabs it. He's like, eh, let me just fucking claw the shit out of you here, dude. Bloody get off me, you cunt. Don't look, touch me. Look at this poor sloth. Saying. Not a goddamn thing he can oh, do. Yeah. Look at him. Whoa, this is a weird one. I haven't seen this video. Mm -hmm. All right, watch out, I'll touch your titties. Get out of here. 
The only one I've seen before is one swoops down and grabs one. This one actually says sloth fights back. Oh, barely. Yeah, oh. I mean, I don't know if it's really a fight, but look yeah. at that speed. This, what is, <laughs> Joe, well, that's going to be you when you're 90. Get out of here. You son of a bitch. I'll get you in a headlock. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> just so weird that nature gave this animal no defense system. Yeah. I mean, nature just fucked the sloth. How cool are they, though? A sloth. You see that one walking, it's like, it almost looks like it's got bloody algae growing on it. That green one that's yes. coming up to the road, how weird are they? Well, the, a lot of them do have a do mold. They? Yeah, they do yeah. have green growing on them. They look like they smell There's bad. one at a zoo here that has all this mold grow all over its back, and you can, yeah, look at it right there. Yeah, that's the one. It's because they move so slow. That literally moss and shit can grow on them. What a fucking goofy ass animal. They're very animal. productive, Jamie, eh? Like, Look as soon as you say something, he's like, boom. He's the best. Yeah. Jamie's the best. Look Pay at this rise, thing. man. He needs another one. Another <laughs> race. Another race for Jamie. Look at this fucking thing, yeah. man. How Look at how crazy. It I mean, that doesn't even look real. If, if you told me that that was a creature in a movie, I'd be like, that's going to come and get you. That's the boogie monster. Oh, my God. The boogie monster who comes in the middle of the night, slowly climbs up oh. to your bed. He only eats babies. Like, that's what it looks like. It looks it, like some fake It's crazy thing. that technology's brought us this far, where we can look at a video right now at that sloth. But to tell you the truth, if you hadn't traveled the world, you wouldn't even know that animal really existed. Well, that's why they used to have to have zoos. That's one of the main reasons why I'm opposed to zoos. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-zoo as far as, like, they raise a lot of money for conservation. There's some animals mm -hmm. that actually thrive in zoos. Like, we were joking around about it the other day about giraffes. I, I used to have this joke in my act about giraffes don't give a fuck about being in a zoo. They don't feel bad at all. They love it. They just wander around going, another day with yeah. no lions. <laughs> and they just slowly wander around. Because giraffes are the only animal we, you let babies feed them. But what if they don't realize they've got life that good, like us today? Mm. You know, like it takes a backcountry hunt for you to go home and go, shit, I just flick a switch and a light comes on. Or I turn yeah. a tap and hot water comes on. Those giraffes are probably just ignorant, and they really don't know, you know? They but definitely know. The know. truth is, they've got it good. There's not lions chasing them every day. Well, what's fucked up about the Santa Barbara Zoo? Santa Barbara Zoo is great, but the fucking the, uh, giraffe cage is right next to the lion cage. Like, literally. <laughs> is that to remind them? Oi, this is, what it, <laughs> this is what it could be like. That's what they should do. They should let them out for a week. They should let them out for a week, let lions and shit chase them around. Let them back in the zoo and go, see, that's what it could be like. What do you want? Yeah. Stop mm. being such an asshole. <laughs> Just eat your lettuce. <laughs> but look at this. People can feed them. Yeah, look at that little crazy. kid. Look at that little that's kid. Cool. No one's even remotely worried about the behavior of giraffes. They've never exhibited any aggressive behavior Except towards people. Except for that people. little kid. He looked a bit stressed. Ah, uh, he just didn't know. Yeah. He's just maybe a little pussy. How about that? <laughs> Kid's <laughs> going to grow up. But Learn jiu-jitsu and <laughs> kick your ass. I don't think he's going to yeah, no. need more than jiu-jitsu for a giraffe. You You'd be about to, 90. You'd be right. You need a Hoyt. <laughs> so these giraffes are right next to this fucking cage where, I mean, they're only separated by a couple of fences. There's two fences, and right over there is these lionesses. That's awesome. And you can get, they have thick glass. You can get right, like where you are to me, you can get right up to the lion. Really? And when you get right up to them, you feel so vulnerable. Yeah. Like, you know there's glass, but oh, that cat's it. looking at you, and you're yep. like, your whole body just starts going, get the fuck out of so here. And so it should. That's yes. your instinct saying, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there's something about cats, man. Oh, you've seen this one where this uh, baby is standing there in oh, front yeah. and it turns its back and the lion, yeah, boom. the lion can't even help it. Yeah. No, it's just the instinct. Yeah. But as soon as the kid turns its back, it's like, now. <laughs> Fuck, man. Shit. Did you see any m mountain lions when you're out there? 
Uh, one coming to the kill site. His prints were all through the snow there. Really? Yeah, and that country's pretty known for mountain lions as well. Uh, two or three years ago when I was in there and we got fresh snow and I went right up high, um, big mountain pr- tracks. Like, and that's just because there was fresh snow. I'm sure there was fresh mountain tracks everywhere I walked every day, but it's just that there was fresh snow and it left the tracks perfectly in the snow. Like, how many times do you walk past a mountain line and it's staring at you or how many times has there been a mountain line off in the distance looking at you and you had no idea it was there. they're there you don't know yeah. they're there and then every now and then i'll you'll get a weird feeling like i'm being ah, it's, it's a funny sense you know and i hate saying about because people say ah bullshit but i'll get a funny feeling that something's looking at me and if i stop at that point and have a look around chances are i'll find a deer or a fox or something staring at me from in the up on the ridge or in the timber or something like that. Happened with Shane Doran. You had Shane on the show not yeah. long ago. Shane was out hunting with me just before he come on your show. And I stopped and I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I just got this weird feeling of being watched. And we looked around and then, yeah, there's a buck like looking behind a tree staring straight at us, you know. So it's like it tickles a sense, that's for sure. Do you think, now this is going to get into the woo-woo mm. here. <laughs> Do you think that when you're out in the woods for days on end, a week on end, with no cell phone service, no nothing, just quiet woods and animals, and you're alone. It's just you. Do you think that activates certain senses or reignites certain senses that are dormant? reignites. Really? We can't have gone through such a long period where you had to hunt. You'll, you, you know, that's just how people were, you know. Like, the natural world is people out in the woods, just like with the animals, that all that ignites and it fades when we're looking at friggin' technology like we do mm-hmm. or you're so busy in your lifestyle and what in what you do like obviously parts of the body's got to you know we've got to shut this down we're doing this now you know we're moving forward in the world <sighs> move forward in the world bullshit let's move back that definitely ignites and it's what i just said you know where um I feel like something's watching watching us or the way you react or you're listening or what you hear and just all your senses become so fine-tuned to the wilderness. Hmm. Uh, man, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, the move forward is an interesting way of looking at it because I don't think technology necessarily is having us move forward, but what it's definitely having us do is move different. We're, 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 we're interacting with each other less in the physical sense and more in the digital sense, and we're w- way less likely to interact with the rest of the wild world. Mm. When, I mean, the world, the wild, that's a weird term, too. Like, I've always felt like the word outdoors. Like, I love the outdoors. Like, how fucking weird are people that we call the whole world outdoors, but our, yeah. you know, like we're yeah. so used to being in these shelters that the sheltered life is normal, yeah. but the outdoor, out of the shelter, well, that's the actual world. That's the actual world, yeah. yeah that's the like, actual. You what? You, you go to the you outdoors? You want to go out there camping? You go to the outdoors? Yeah. Oh, like, well. What, outdoors, like what a weird description, yeah. the outdoors. You know, it's a strange way of looking at the wilderness. It's a, the wilderness is a much better term. But outdoors is like, oh, I love the great outdoors. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you yeah, talking it's crazy. about? I love the world how it is today. I think you said it on a show not long ago. Like, we've never had it better than we have now. 100%. If you don't think we've got it better now, it's because you're not looking at and you're not appreciating everything that, that there is. So I like technology in the sense that I can connect with a lot of people. You. Cam Haynes, you know, stuff like that. I wouldn't have friendships with you guys if it wasn't for how technology was today. Yeah, you live on the other side of the planet. Exactly. How crazy is that? And the world becomes really small. So I love all that, but at the same time, I just hate the disconnect that people have. I hate that 
everyone's so busy trying to work for a living to have a nice car or a big house or something like that. And in the end, that shit's not even important. It doesn't even matter. It's not like it's not the memory that you're going to get from going out to the wilderness or the connection or the appreciation. I appreciate meat because I've had to kill it myself. Right. I appreciate power because I've gone without power for weeks. I appreciate hot water. You appreciate all those things. A, a car, a paved road, rubbish service. Someone comes to your house and collects your friggin' rubbish. Serious? No, serious. <laughs> you true, think right? about it. Yeah. There was a point where we couldn't get done what we would today because you had so much else to do. Right. Your own rubbish. Probably grow your own vegetables or drive or walk or horse ride the day into the town to get vegetables or, or whatever it was. And washing your clothes, we didn't... Sitting there for scrub and brush and washing your clothes over a board would take hours and hours. Now you just throw it in a machine, I'll come back and get it when it's convenient for me and pull it out. So you get to do a lot more in today's world, but it also there's so much to do that it's a lot of people don't get to do what we do and go outdoors and experience that or appreciate those things because they haven't had that hardship. You know, the mountains is a hard, can be a hard and miserable experience, but it makes you appreciate the th- things in modern life that aren't hard anymore. It's a perspective enhancer because it's a reality check because you realize, mm. wow, what a strange world we live in that we need shelter and we need fire and we need all this stuff in order to survive. Mm. But without that stuff, when you're out there like as, as minimalistic as you've done it, like doing it with a small pack with just a few days worth of food and mm. s- sleeping under a, a cloth house, a little tent, you know, I mean, that's a perspective enhancer because yeah. it, it gives you this real appreciation of what people have actually accomplished. But most folks are not doing that. And so they get really detached from where their food comes from, really detached from the world itself. And it's not it's not their fault. It's just the environment that you're accustomed to. We're all accustomed to supermarkets and restaurants and being able to just get a bottle of water. Yep. You know, oh, I, I'm thirsty. Let me just pop the top on this and water. And people will still complain about that shit. That's mm-hmm. the crazy thing. People will still complain about that. And I'm like, dude, you need to check yourself. Yeah. I went to Africa a couple of years ago and it's like in a real poor village in, in Mozambique. And uh, everyone's still smiling. They, it was a unseasonal year and it was really cold. So um, we'd, we go through this village and a lot of these villages never seen a white person before. And we go through these villages and it's three o'clock in the morning and they're all standing around the fire. And uh, I, I said to the, the guy beside me, the local guy, I'm like, oh, do they all start work early? And he's like, no, they, they can't sleep. And I'm like, what do you mean they can't sleep? And he's like, well, it's really cold. They don't have blankets or anything like that. So they get up in the morning, they start a fire, and they all huddle around the fire to get warm because it's freezing. And it's not that they don't have the money to buy blankets. There's no blankets. There's no frigging blankets for sale. It's as simple as that. There's not like, oh, they don't have the $20 to buy a blanket. There's not even the resource for there to be a blanket available for them to buy. There's babies crawling around in dust that's like six, seven, eight, eight inches thick the dust around the village because you know all the they all walk around the village and create a lot of dust no one's complaining there that's what they're used to and they're happy throw one of us throw someone from our society in that man they'd be miserable they'd probably cut their own friggin' wrists and 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 all i i come home from there thinking those people have got it that hard that's what they're used to but they've got it that hard and they're still smiling you know and it's, it was a bit of a check for me i got power I've got running water, and I've always been appreciative of these things anyway, but um, 
we've got power, we've got water, we've got, in Australia, we've got Medicare, you know, like real good health services. We've got everything like that, and people still find something to complain about. And, and it's just because they haven't been through a real hardship in their life that they don't realise it could be a hell of a lot harder than this. This isn't even hard. It's easy. It's just what we're used to, and we're used to complaining about it. Well, it's also... One of the strange things that we've created by creating houses that have electricity inside them and easy access to food and shelter with sleep in a nice, comfortable mattress, by doing that and by detaching ourselves from the natural world, I think we remove just a little bit of the mystery of being alive, of how bizarre it really is mm. to be a living creature. How like, amazing it is. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. I mean, when you're when you're walking through the woods and you're seeing that grizzly bear who's sleeping on the carcass of that elk, that bear has been living like that probably for if you ran into an eleven foot bear, mm -hmm. how many years is he? Like fifteen years old, 15, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's a giant fucking yep. huge monster bear yep. that's just out there surviving the hard way for a long time in Montana, yep. going through these winters. Doesn't give a shit if it rains, no. if it's sunny, give if it's fuck. snowing. Doesn't give a shit, doesn't even give a shit about a pack of wolves. Yeah, black doll eyes. Yeah. You see their eyes when you look. With the, with the, I ran into one grizzly bear in my life where uh, it was in the wild, only once. And it was last year with Cam in Alberta. I was at, actually with uh, Jen, oh, yeah, John nice. and Jen. And uh, Jen said, turn around, there's a grizzly. And we turned around, there's this, this grizzly looking at us. And this motherfucker was looking through me. Yeah. There's such a difference in the yeah. way they look at you. He's not looking at and going, oh, that's Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> no, they look through, but they yeah. look through you in the, the strangest apex predator way. Yeah. Well, they have like this dead look in their eyes. Yeah. They're very, it's a very strange it's animal. Yeah. It is. It's like, well, I shouldn't say soulless. It's probably a well, bit soul, of a harsh, harsh way. But I don't even know if a soul's real, but that, I know what you're saying. Exactly. They don't give a shit. Compassionless. Yeah. They don't give a yeah. shit. That's what it is. Compassionless. Yeah. This is just a part of life. If I feel like I'm going to eat you, I'm going to friggin' eat you. I remember the first video I ever saw of a bear killing a moose. The bear uh, chased the moose, knocked it down, and started eating it guts first while it was alive, just holding it down and eating it. That's nature, right? Yeah. That's this. This is this is the funny bit, you know, where these these extreme greenies think these animals go around like you know hugging like, each other. Yeah, like ah, oh, that's my cousin. You know, we have a catch, catch up and have a beer later and shit like that. No, they don't give a fuck. They don't care if you're screaming and howling. It's just gonna eat you. It's like the a lot of the coyote uh, dingoes back home. If dingoes get a calf back home, they're not like, oh, I'm going to be humane with this calf. I'll um, I'll bite its throat first. I'll tear its throat out, make sure it's died and it's peaceful and stuff like that. They'll just start eating it right yeah. there and there. It will die in its own time. You know, that, that that's not even a thought process for these animals. No, they're just concerned with consumption. Mm. Um, when, you, when you do see them do it too, when you do see them eat something, it's just... It, it's like, oh yeah, of course that's how they do it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but you yeah. don't you don't think of it that way. Yeah. You know, it's movies, it's, uh, man. <laughs> movies have confused the shit out of people and then being away from them for yeah. long periods of time. Yeah, but we can't blame the movies because it's on that individual. I'm smart enough, you're smart enough. Common sense tells you that that's a movie. Mm -hmm. They're not really like that. You know, how can people be that disconnected to think that's actually how animals live their life? 
it's just a friggin' movie. Yeah, but the know? people, they just, well, I, don't, I don't think they really think that, but they're mm. not exposed to the harsh reality of it. Like, they, I don't think they really think that the bears talk to each other in yeah. English, and then they hug each other, yeah. and they help people. But, but the reality of seeing bears in Klondike bar commercials and Coca-Cola ads, that does fuck with your head. Mm. It, it does, oh, it in some does, way, yeah. plants... Yeah. These seeds of what uh, Ranella calls, uh, what does he call it, uh, charismatic megafauna. Yeah. You know, these these things become, they become your friends, your your long-lost mm. wilderness friends. Mm. Yeah, man, mm. I've got a cat. I've got a dog at home. Yeah. I, I love them. Like, cool. But at the end of the day, I know it's an animal. And it's not a senseless, senseless way of saying it because I believe hunters or the hunters that I've met are the most compassionate people that you'll ever meet because it's, it is a hard thing to take an animal's life, but I know it's part of the process. You know, um, it's not like I'm just, oh, let's just go out and kill an elk. Yeah, we got an elk killed. I'm totally not that hunter at all. I've, it, nothing turns me off more. I'm not that sort of person. I'll have a quiet time with that, you know, that animal. I'll put my hand on it and everything, you know, and just be thankful. I know it's an animal. I know the meat's going to be used. I know I'm doing the right thing. But it's still, that's the human emotion part of it, you know, and that's what, in a sense, that's why I got upset when I killed that, that bull elk, you know, it's like, it, it's, it is a beautiful creature. I understand that's definitely a beautiful creature and it's a hard thing to do, but th that's the food chain. Well, it's also very sustainable. And what's interesting is what you're doing is you're dipping your, your body, your mind, mm. your feet into the wild world. That elk is going to get eaten by something. Yeah. If it's yeah. not you, it's going to get eaten by that bear that was sleeping on the carcass or yeah, those wolves. Yeah, nothing goes to waste. I've, I, I completely understand that after yeah. hunting. Yes. After getting so far in the hunting, I completely understand that nothing goes to waste. Nothing ever. If an animal breaks its leg, it's, something's going to take care of that. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. 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 It's just all part of the cycle. It's all part of the big picture of the world. The biggest, the biggest creature on the world is the world itself. It feeds yes. off everything. Us. We're even part part of the world's prey. Yeah, you know? in, in a way, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it becomes this, this super complex system that has everything in place. It's got a system to dissolve bodies, and the bacteria dissolves what the animals don't eat, and mm -hmm. there's just this really complex pattern that's in place that's been in place forever. Mm. And what you're doing as a hunter is just going into it and becoming, for a brief week or so you're becoming a part of that system or and that's month. how you acquire your or a month for you <laughs> <laughs> and you're acquiring your food that way which i obviously and you obviously think is way better than going to it's a fucking so supermarket and hiring I've, some supermarket hitman to do the work for you yeah. and feeling that you're guilt free i worked at the abattoirs for some time and what is that uh, abattoirs like a slaughterhouse oh that's so, like abattoirs yeah abattoir in australia you yeah. know what that is you ever heard of that I think it might be an Australian world. Yeah, it's very um, secluded here in America. How would you know about that? <laughs> yeah, well, we wouldn't know. We don't know too much about you other than yeah. like Crocodile Dundee. Cro and, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, land Down Under. Sometimes I'll use a saying or say something. I'm like, do you understand that word or not? Abattoir. Yeah. Abattoir. There, a slaughterhouse. Is that, there is you that go. normal? Did I say it Spanish right? Spanish Central. Hmm. Spanish Central. It's Australia, bitch. Spanish speakers? Is it a Spanish word? Must be. Huh. Interesting word. I'll just start calling it slaughterhouse. slaughterhouse. Yeah. <laughs> and so 7,000 sheep would go past on a chain, and I just had the one job to do. And and, and there'd be 700 people. Were you making a, just, a slashing? Yeah, that's right. Is that what you did? Yeah. You just cut their throats? There would be um, 700 other workers just on the slaughter floor part, 
So that meat was passing 700 people's hands, mouths, the whole lot, through a... I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with this because the population of the world demands that. Not everyone can hunt now. So I don't have an issue with slaughterhouses or anything like that. But I'm saying that meat goes through a way different process. I would have to say, for a better word, brutal process where those animals get herded on to a uh, like a truck, like a semi-trailer, uh, driven to the slaughterhouse, put in small yards, pushed through a gate, to go past all those people's hands that are that are cutting the meat that's before it even gets to the point where it's going to get cut up for packaging and then obviously it gets sent out to different grocery stores and then sold from there my meat passes these hands here that's it yeah that's the only meat that it passes i get to inspect every single animal in in its natural form because i'm the one that kills it isn't it strange that that's the norm, that the norm is a slaughterhouse? And that's only been around for a couple hundred years. Yeah. Before that, everybody did it the hard way. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But yet, we seem to be the outsiders for doing it like that. And it's like, this is so much more natural. This is, it's freaking beautiful. That The process is actually beautiful once you get to know it and you look at it. that Everyone thinks, Ugh, you had to gut an animal. Do you know how clean it is to gut an animal? Like, it's clean. It's not a messy job at all. Um, and, and there's no, like, I've got to block my nose. I don't want to no, smell it. There's, smell there's, there's no smell. There's nothing. This is clean meat. And that's what I'm saying. The blood on my hands at that point is clean. Wouldn't bother me to eat a chocolate bar and lick my fingers after no. it. You can, I mean, you can eat the meat completely raw. Exactly. It's red it, meat. It's, it's not fine. a predator. I mean, the only thing you have to worry about is if you eat a pig or if you eat a, a mountain lion or something like that, you've got to worry about trichinosis. Or we don't even have that at home. You don't have trichinosis? Nope. <clears throat> And not, so your pigs, you can eat your pigs pretty rare? <laughs> uh, you could. You definitely could. That's so uh, come here and they cook bacon and it's like crusty bit of cardboard. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do the same. Well, I didn't know that. So I cooked some, some bacon for our friends that we stayed with, Ed and Kay Westbrook. They were on that bear hunt with us, mm-hmm. Ed and Kay. And um, I'm used to just having my bacon like slightly cooked. So I just slightly cooked it and put it on the plate. I ate all my bacon. They didn't eat their bacon. I'm like, oh. They mustn't be big bacon eaters. And then after the fact that I've eaten my bacon, thanks, Kay, she's <laughs> like, um, yeah, we really like to cook our bacon well because of trichinosis. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you let me eat mine, though? What's well, a much <laughs> less of a concern with domestic pigs? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they, they actually lowered the temperature that you're supposed to kill uh, or cook, rather, uh, domestic pork. Yeah, okay. It used to be like 165 degrees, which is what they recommend you cook and bear at. Now it's yep. 140 yeah. Okay. So you're okay. I'm okay. I should be cool. Well, they don't ever get out. I mean, yeah. unless something gets to them. The way you get trichinosis is by eating something with trichinosis. But the horrific nature of pig farming, of, of domestic, the way they raise it, these factory farms, it's it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it really makes you never want to eat pork again. Yeah, it's definitely. Really disgusting. Yeah, I could. I'm just happy filling my freezer with with naturally harvest meat. A hundred percent. Kim eats it. The kids eat it. They all love it. But isn't it interesting that what you said earlier that everybody can't do that? I they mean, can't do it. That's yeah, bizarre. That's, that it, it is bizarre. It's because of what we're talking about. Everyone's, you know, you, you've got to have this job. You've got to make good money. You know, you need to be successful in that type of life. You know, that that's the big push. But, but I'm always like, no, you really need to be successful in this type of life, which is the outdoors experience, you know, like... Um, uh, whatever, being a good father, like that's the sort of pfft, the work shit or whatever. Who gives a shit? Leave your job tomorrow if you have to, to go and do something that you enjoy in life, right? 
that's the end story because you're not going to get to your deathbed and be like, oh, I really wish I pushed and got that better position at work or whatever. Mm. You're never going to do that. You'll, you'll always be like, I wish I did uh, more for my kids or I wish I went and climbed friggin' Everest or whatever it is. That's what it's going to be. But yeah. we all get caught up in this trap is, no, I've got to have the newest car, the, the, the nicest house. We need to live in this suburb. I need to be the CEO at work. I need to do that sort of thing. Well, I think we're set up with this desire in our heads to attain things that we think are difficult to attain that we see. Like we see a shiny car, we see a beautiful house, mm-hmm. we see all the all the different trappings of modern society. We see those things, and they're they're very appealing to us, and they they seem to be like uh, goalposts of success. Mm. And then if we can reach those things, maybe we'll we'll reach more happiness, or we'll feel better about ourselves. We'll have some status that, that we can brag about. And you chase that stuff until your heart That's stops beating. That's the trap. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do the same thing. Don't don't get me wrong. I'll <laughs> see an advertisement for a car or something like that and be like, oh, I really like that car. But then there's another part of me that clicks and go, you don't need that frigging car. Yeah. Why do you want that car? That car means you've got to work longer or work more right. or something else to maintain or something like that. Are you going to want to get that car scratched in the bush? That's right. another thing. You know, I'm like, no, I've already got a car. Just be happy with what you've got. You're, you're an idiot. If you go and chase that, you're an idiot. Just be happy with what you've got. Life's good. More out time, more outdoor experience, more time for your kids, more time for your wife, whatever in that sense, you know. And it, it's, it's, that's, a, that, that's a whole modern society thing. So Indigenous Australia, not all of Indigenous Australia, but most of Indigenous Australia because it's so young to our culture, you know, because Australia was only discovered in, Maybe Jamie can look it up because I don't know exact date. I probably should. Um, they, they, Indigenous Australia don't seem to have that desire. They're just happy with what they've got, and it's something to be it's something to be envious of. That 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 they're just happy with that. That they're not going to waste their life going and chasing s- silly things. You know. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, those things that you're chasing, you can't take them with you. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and even if you leave them behind for your family, I mean, they're they're only going to enjoy them until they stop living. Yeah. But will will it's like the masterpiece is enjoying your life to the utmost and having the most the most success with your family, with your friends, the most relationship success, the most harmony with the people mm. that you come in contact with. But that doesn't seem to be rewarded the same way in our world as like someone who's got some baller house and it's a fucking not. helicopter picks him up and he's got golden underwear and But that fades, right? Yeah, it does. But they can have that they can have that helicopter and I guarantee you that it fades and they want something new. There's mm-hmm. something there's something new that you're desiring past that. What I've tried to train myself to desire and what I do desire now is experiences, like worldly experiences. Coming to coming to America for the month. Man, I'd sell my if it meant to have to sell the house that I'm in. I'd, Kim would kill me, so I wouldn't. <laughs> Let's find something else. If I had to sell my car to come to America, to for come a month? to America for a month, I'd do it. Wow, I'd drop it hundred percent because the it's and it's not even the stories that I'll tell you or Cam or or Antonio or one of my friends back home. It's not even those stories. It's the stories within myself and the experience within myself. That's where the real value is. That's the real currency of this world is what's inside me right now and how I feel after doing this trip. Man, I, th- this trip was miserable. I won't lie to you, but, but it's an enjoyable miserable. How do you work that shit out? How could being in the snow, being wet, flogging myself out, you know, f- for 
16, 17 hours every day into the, the dark of night and getting back in the camp, being miserable, how could that be enjoyable? Because the second you get back to camp, you're like, oh, a fire, that's awesome. The second you lay down, yeah, I'm just like, oh, it's so good to lay down. It's like you've got to go through hardship to find the good shit in life. I went through this uh, five days on Prince of Wales Island with Ronella and my friend Brian Callan, and it was raining every day, just pouring rain every day. The, the hunt was unsu- unsuccessful, too. We didn't get a deer. But we came back, and I was so happy. Mm. I was like, the sun is so warm. That's hell. It's yeah. so nice. There's no rain. And I've, I'm, I, it's the same as it is today, which yeah. is beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful today, but I didn't really appreciate it the way I appreciated it when I came back from Prince of Wales. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I really do believe that you have to go through some difficulty to appreciate good stuff. Like, if you're yep. born into, like, a... So, some super wealthy multi-billionaire family and you've got a Ferrari when you're 16 mm. and you know you drive around there fly around everywhere in private jets and you live in a giant mansion I just don't think that you can ever appreciate no, definitely not the difficulty I, of I, life. W- I work for what I've got today you know and then like I had a hard upbringing and stuff like that my, my father was abusive alcoholic I lived on the streets for some time and I really believe that put me where I am with my family, I absolutely adore my family. I'd do anything for my wife and kids, anything. I'd cut my own arms off and sell them if I had to. That's because of the hardship that I had when I was growing up. And, and like, my business is very successful today, and I believe that's because I didn't have anything growing up as a kid. Like, we were poor. We were very poor. <laughs> you know, we, we had nothing. We didn't, we didn't do Christmases because there was no money to do Christmas. And, and coming from a broken family like that, to now have my own family that I, I know how to treat them right because of how we were treated so wrong as kids and how my mother was treated. I know how to treat Kim or it's how I'm proven that that's not that shit don't fly in my house. This is how it actually is. You know, you love your family to death. You do absolutely anything for them. And the, the biggest thing that I'm proud of in life is having the family that I've got today, you know, like bow hunting aside. I, man, I'd drop bow hunting. You know how much I love bow hunting. <laughs> Shit, I drop bow hunting for my family. Well, lucky I'm not going to do it if ask. Kim's listening. <laughs> lucky you don't have to. But yeah, that is a, an interesting thing. How people come from uh, a lot of folks that come from abusive, alcoholic uh, families, they they wind up being like really considerate and really mm. compassionate and really uh, dedicated to keeping on the straight and narrow. You know, I have my friend Maurice, he grew up uh, with a, an alcoholic grandmother who raised him. And they used to uh, they used to lock him in a, a room and just leave him there while they would go out drinking. And he couldn't get out of the room. There was no food. He was always hungry. That's sad, And yeah. never never drank in his whole life. Just I'm a was, non-drinker. Yeah. And it's just because of how I seen my, how I seen my mm-hmm. father was drinking. I believe I wouldn't be like that drinking because I'm just I, like I care about the person on the street. I don't even know. That's the, that's the sort of person that I am. So I don't believe I would be um, the violent drunk that my father was. But it's something I don't want to even promote to my kids. Right. I don't even want to promote it to my friends. So I I, I right. won't drink, and I don't need to drink. I'm silly enough, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen that many times, man. People who grew up in that sort of abusive, uh, substance abusing family hmm. they grow up and they're clean as a whistle they don't yeah. have nothing to do with it and it makes total sense yeah it turns you right off it 100%. yeah it's interesting how that works man how sometimes you have to see someone just fucking completely ruining their life mm. in order for you to get it in your head well that is not me i just i seen all the negatives in it and then i was like 
I don't want any negatives in my life at all. Like I'll do yeah. anything to avoid them, you know, and that's why I keep on the straight and narrow and try and be a real positive person is um, I just I just don't want any anything negative like that in my life. And I've seen alcohol as being a negative breeder mm. because people do stuff that they, they, they usually wouldn't. Um, 100%. But, but at the same time... Um, I can be at work or something and the guys are drinking and having a good time and there's no issue at all. Shit, I'll stay up all night with them having a good laugh. I, I just don't need it to have fun anymore because I've never had it. And 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 obviously, you know, I've been turned off it as a, as a young bloke. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessary. I mean, it's a social lubricant and I, I enjoy it. But I didn't grow up in <clears throat> an alcoholic environment. I grew up in a violent environment. Mm. So... You know, domestic violence to me is a very scary thing, and um, I, I couldn't imagine ever hitting my wife or hitting mm -hmm. my kids or hitting. Yeah. I just, I, I can't. You imagine know, it. it was like it was so stressful growing up as a kid that I think that's why I've tried to live my life without any stress now. And having my own business, my own business can be stressful, but I've, I've tried to grow up without having any stress, and just. <laughs> To have a figure like that in your life growing up as kids, I've got two sisters as well that were obviously affected by, by it as well. Um, it's a little bit like feeding your kids the wrong vegetables and not feeding them life. But for mental health, mm. you know, yeah. domestic violence is so ruining in that sense that, that it just destroys mental health. I've, had, I've used it as fuel myself but I know a lot of people don't and it actually affects them. As they get older, it affects them more and more. It does, and it also affects, if you see violence too often in the young, and by the way, I should really uh, ex, uh, expand on this. Like, the violence that I saw was nothing. I mean, it's, you know, my dad hit my mom a few times. Was, you know, he smacked her around. I saw him hit some other people, too. He's just a That's horrible, regular, yeah. That's, that's, but, a, that's but enough. That's, it's it's yeah. a bit bad, but it's not violence in comparison to say he never hit me. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've seen many people who've lived way more violent upbringing, way, way worse than what I've seen. But um, one of the things that happens to young people when they see violence on a regular basis is your brain gets programmed to accept, not just accept mm. that, but to, to be wary of that and to be ready to respond to that. Mm. And so you develop a much quicker temper and your, the, the consequences of being in a dangerous situation become much more real. And you're much more likely to act in a violent way. When children see violence, mm. they see people getting hit, and they see that kind of shit on a regular basis. Yeah, it's it like the norm. It becomes normal. normal. It becomes yeah. an option. Yeah. You know? And it's, uh, it's just like programming. I mean, you know, you have, you have children. Like when you raise a kid, like they're, they're so fast. It's so fascinating to watch kids learn and grow, and you see what they respond to, mm. and you see like when you, you when you can talk to them and get them alone and have fun with them and respond and and rationalize with them. Like I try to talk to my kids like they're adults. Yeah, I talk to them like they're little kids. Like I give them a lot of love and a lot of, but I try to explain things like they're really smart. Yeah. And, uh, they probably are really smart they, because you're like that. My kids are like that. Yeah, well, they, they get it kind of, mm. and but they keep asking questions mm. and we work it out. You know, well, what does that mean? Well, what, you know, like we, we've had conversations about um, what to do if someone's being mean to you. Like my daughter was like, someone's being mean to me at school. I go, well, how are they being mean to you? She's like, well, they said something mean about my hair. Or me. I go, well, do you like your hair? And she's like, yeah, I like your hair. I go, do you think they really think there's something wrong with your haircut mm. or are they trying to make you feel bad? 
She goes, I just think they're mean. I go, well, they're probably trying to make you feel bad, right? And so why do you think they're trying to make you feel bad? Well, a lot of it is because when kids are little, they realize that they can affect someone. And mm-hmm. they don't. maybe they don't even understand that it's going to have a really bad feeling on you, but they, it's like a toy that they can play with. Like they can say something mean and you react and they realize it. And this is something that people have to get through. I go, what you should do is realize how that makes you feel and decide you're never going to do that to somebody else, especially not someone who's your friend. And so we have these like long conversations about feeling, about communication. And then I I explain to her always that whenever I tell my kid about something, I always say, whatever you've done, I've done it worse and I'm dumber than you. (laughs) For sure. When I was your age, because she's very smart, especially my eight year old who is, uh, you know, she's the, the, um, the middle child, but she's, um, you know, she's uh, she's very curious and very uh, very interested in progress. Like we talk about things like getting smarter or what you. Were, and one of the things I always say is, I go, "You're way smarter than I was when I was eight. When I was eight, I was really dumb, and I did a lot of stupid things. Mm. But also, I was a boy, and I think I was a little more reckless and impulsive and a little crazier." But I'm like, uh, so anything you've done, like if you don't tell the truth about something or if you blame somebody else for something that you did, I did it all. I did all those mm. things. So I'm not mad at you. Like, uh, it all obviously worked out for me. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I have you. Yeah. So it's going to be okay. So no, no one's going to not love you if you mm. make a mistake. It's totally a part of being a person. There's no way to navigate this life without making mistakes. Yeah. So by having those kind of conversations with them, I think I alleviate at least some of the anxiety. Because kids are always worried about how you feel about what they've done. Like, they don't want you to be upset at them. They don't mm. want you to be. And I always like, go, even if you do something bad, like, I still love you. So yeah, it's just, it's just part of life. Kids, yeah. I fuck up still as an yep. adult, as a 49-year-old man. I yep. still make stupid fucking mistakes. And in the end, it doesn't even matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It's just shit you can get past. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. It's all good. Chill out, people. Exactly. Yeah. But it's hard. To ch- well, you know what? That's another thing, that being in the woods and being in the wild. Like, when you see a fucking 11-foot-tall grizzly bear sleeping on an elk carcass and you're by yourself, boy, does, like... Insults about a haircut <laughs> seem fucking trivial. Exactly. <laughs> Eight-year-olds like, getting mad at each other on yeah. a playground seems so fucking stupid. Like, yeah. look at this thing. This thing could eat me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny? It is funny. I think, I mean, again, like you were saying about how being in the woods and then coming back here, like, wow, I could just hit a switch. And I could, I think, you know, having that, that perspective and being out in the wild, it does. It, it's an, one more thing that gives you this sort of uh, greater picture of how bizarre and amazing life really is yeah do you have this saying no use crying over spilt milk yeah yeah yeah, we have that i think we invented it i think you guys borrowed it i think we invented it along with with wi-fi you guys invented wi-fi i (laughs) can't believe that yeah one guy he's probably american he's an expat (laughs) probably went over there and claimed australia (laughs) he's probably hiding from his taxes well like i just live by there's no use crying over spilt milk like if something's happened like if there's even something stressful yeah it's it's done now let's just deal with it because it's done now there's no use carrying Mm -hmm. on about it right it doesn't make anything any better it doesn't it's just like just let's just deal with the situation let's just get beyond it but it's so common to be upset about it and everybody else does Mm -hmm. it and it becomes a pattern you see it and you know i mean I'm, i'm guilty of it myself i've gotten upset about stupid shit before too but Sometimes it's just a perspective thing. Mm. And also sometimes it's a busy thing. Like sometimes you become, I, me, I'm guilty of this. I do, I do too busy. many things. Yeah. yeah. And in doing too many things, sometimes I, I get my stress level too high. Like my base stress level is like there's too many things I'm mm. managing all at once. And, and then I could be irritable. 
yeah. lot of stuff that I shouldn't be irritable about. Kim's the same. Kim's got a, a little business, pretty little party co, and she gets so busy, she'll get caught up with it that she'll get to the point she's like, fuck, I've just got to slow down. I've got to mm-hmm. do less. I've got to do less so I can actually fit in more things, but more things that I enjoy. Yeah. And um, But at least she's got that outlook. At least she gets to that point and she's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm getting too busy. You know, I'm actually losing quality time with whatever in life that she enjoys. And um, I used to be the same with the business because I'd put in these crazy hours with the business. I, I, I practically built the business so it could support itself and I can walk away and go bow hunting. And But to get to that point, I put in a few years of just I'd be out I'd be up until 1 o'clock in the morning doing things for the business and, and trying to keep it growing. And then how big do you want it? Because the more shit you have in life, business, all all those sorts of things, the less time you actually have in life to do the things that you want, right? So I got to the point and I'm like, well, I don't really want the business to be any bigger than it is now unless I get in some other managers and things like that. And it's just finding that point, okay, stop, because you're really not enjoying life anymore. Yeah. You know, let's just roll it back a little bit. Yeah, I've done that more this year. I I used to do all the UFC pay-per-views mm-hmm. and I used to do the Fox events too and I cut it back to only North American pay-per-views no more Fox yeah. events I cut it in half they can blame bow hunting yeah because you found bow hunting <laughs> that's and you're part like, of the problem shit I need more time for bow hunting that's part of the problem I was t- you know I was telling you on the way over here that I, I really think I need to do a bow hunting TV show just so I can have an excuse <laughs> To, to go more so I don't have I listen honey I gotta go to work Can't, just make it up just, and it's in Australia dude you gotta come out and hunt with me you, you can only show. see it yeah. yeah you can only see it um, in, online in China but it's gonna be huge yeah I, I don't know man this there's, uh, there's definitely a, f- a line that you cross between not doing enough and then doing mm. the right amount and then doing too much yeah. and knowing how to pull it back it's hard to pull things back, though. Yeah. Most people, they, they feel like if they're not moving forward, they're moving backward. Mm. If they're not doing more, they're doing less. Yeah, that's a human condition, isn't it? Well, it's part of this, uh, you know, go get them society, especially mm. in America. I mean, I don't know exactly what the attitude is over in Australia. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's different with different people, but I'll have an hour at home. If I, It doesn't even have to be something I want to do. I can be doing housework at the on the house or doing something at work doesn't even have to be something that i actually want to do but if i'm not doing something for an hour i am bored shitless dude like hide the knives i'm going to cut my wrist <laughs> like bored bored shitless like i need to be doing something and like i said doesn't even have to be something i want to do but i have to have something to do one of the things that i've realized how to do or uh, learned how to do over the last few years is go on an actual vacation mm. where i go and i could just sit on the beach and drink margaritas and put my feet up is and play hunting, with my though? kids no oh, i can't i <laughs> go fishing though <laughs> well <laughs> we were uh, it was uh, organizing a, a trip recently to uh, hawaii and i was saying well if you go to lanai i can hunt access exactly deer. hook up with but shane the problem is i'll be up at six o'clock in the yeah. morning i won't see my There's family no break it's like, there at all it's not yeah. that's not uh that's not a vacation yeah. it won't be a vacation but fishing is like fishing is yeah. easy and they like Chill it out. my kids like it yeah it's awesome. fun you know bring them bring your kids to australia too it'll take you out and some mad fishing at work australia is a strange place man and this is one it's of the things strange I, place I wanted to... it's a 16 hour flight away <laughs> well it's that too but it's also a strange place in that the like what they've done in america with reintroducing wolves what what they've done in Australia, what, what I think is really mm. bizarre, is 
feral cats and foxes to deal with some of the that some of the shit never works. Yeah. So they brought rabbits out. They to, brought rabbits to feed one of the early colonies within Australia. Because that was for the people, the rabbits for the people to hunt. Right. Yeah, that's why they brought them in, food source. Well, all the animals in Australia, particularly New Zealand, all the game animals, yeah. all of them have been introduced from somewhere else. That's that's correct. Most so the deer species are all gifts from royalty along the way, and and then you've got other species that weren't gifts at all. We just brought them in because we thought it was going to benefit Australia. But most of them, if not all of them, done the complete opposite. So they brought in the fox to look after the rabbit. Well, there's so much other shit that the fox would just prefer to eat that's easier than catching a rabbit. They just hate that. And, and it's, a, it's our, um, it's like the species that lo- lives in Australia. Like, it's not like, oh, it's something else we want to get rid of. No, it's something else we wanted to keep because right. they're natives, you know. Like ground nesting birds yeah, and things like that. You, na- you name it. And then you, you spend enough time out in the woods and you, you'll see just the, about the craziest things. And we've seen feral cats now. Because the birds started nesting out on lakes, on tr- old trees that were growing in the lake. They'd be safe there, right? No, the feral cats were swimming across the lake at night. We're actually seeing this. Un- under light, swimming across the lake at night. Climbing these birds that are nesting in the trees out on the lake and snatching the chicks and, and the bird. It's just devastating to, to our po- population of um. I've never heard of wildlife. a fucking feral cat swimming in a Crazy, lake. Crazy, dude. Yeah. So they just figured out how to do no, it? They just figured out how to do it. <laughs> Yeah, me and my buddies were out there, we were bombing them up, you know, that's, that's the, that's the, there's the point right there. That's yeah. the right thing to do is get in and cull those cats out when it's to that, to that, that sort of Well, that was what I was going to bring up, because when I was in Australia, you gave me some of your uh, Australian bow hunting magazines, and there's fucking pictures of oh, dudes like, posing with cats. Yeah. They've got a dead cat. No, nah, that's a proud moment for a hunter, because <laughs> of how devastating they are. I understand. I yeah. get it. The same way coyotes are here yeah. in the in like I've got a cat at home. Well, I'm not lining it up. I'm not thinking about shooting my cat at home. That's different. It's a cat. It's got a collar on, and it's got a bell on, and it stays at the house. But isn't that bizarre? Mm. Like, you love that cat, but another cat, you'll shoot it right feral through Feral dogs. F- so yeah. you've got dingoes and you've got feral dogs. And, and feral dogs are just, that's just a domestic dog that's gone wild. And, and they're the same. They'll frill kill. They're, they're, they're devastating to our population of wildlife. Um, uh, wombats take a good hit. Uh, you know, echidnas will get harassed. You ever seen an echidna? Echidna? Yeah, echidna. What is it? It's like a porcupine. But he's cooler. All of our wildlife's he's cooler than your wildlife. How dare you? <laughs> um, you don't have wolves. You don't even have wolves. How could you say? Yeah, that cool. uh, dingo would eat a wolf whole. Oh, how dare you? That's so not true. How big is a dingo? Um, not as big as a wolf. So how the fuck is that going to work out? <laughs> I'm bullshitting you. But it's crazy because you guys are so scared of coming out to Australia. You've got snakes and spiders. And I'm in the bush here for one day and there's a giant freaking grizzly bear like at my tent. And I'm like... I'll take the spiders and snakes, please. Do you think a grizzly bear is scarier than a croc? Nah. Crocs, crocs are just a cold, cold-hearted killer. Like, they would just... It, it seems... If you went in the water near any crocodile, it'd come and have a crack at you. If you went near any bear, I reckon about 50% of them, 40% of them might attack you. It might even be less than that. Where it just seems like a crocodile so stuck in the Jurassic period that anything that comes to that water is just going to get chomped. I'll tell you a quick little story. So I'm in Arnhem Land last year. Arnhem Land's like Northern Territory Australia. How do you say it? Arnhem Land? Arnhem Land. Arnhem? Arnhem. But how, you, how are you spelling that? <laughs> it's A-R-M-H-E-H. 
H is how you say H? Yeah. H? H? H. H. <laughs> like what this do you thing? Say? Yeah, that thing. H. We say H. H. We say H. H. You guys put an A in there. Probably not us guys, just me. That's there it. There you go. Arnhem. 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 Arnhem land. Okay. There's a vast yeah. wilderness area. What it sure is. That's God's land right mm, there. Beautiful. Okay. Paradise. So you're an Arn Arnhem. Paradise for an outdoorsman. Mm. Is hell. it? Absolute hell for any city slicker. Ooh. It is out there. Mosquitoes, wow, crocodiles, beautiful. buffalo. God, that picture is amazing. Yeah. It is a spectacular place and virtually untouched. So that's very wow. appealing. That's the crazy thing about Australia is the population. Mm. That you guys have essentially the population of Los Angeles in a place as big as the continental United States. Yeah, thank Christ for that. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Even when we went to, like, you go to a nice city like Melbourne. Like, mm. God, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's like a little country town for you guys. <laughs> yeah, oh, it is. It's tiny. It's like Boulder, Colorado. And we're like, get us out of here. There's too much traffic. So, uh... You're in Arnhem Land, and what happened? I'm in Arnhem Land, and I shoot this massive big boar pig, and it runs down. So I shot it, and it just ran down. It was just on the edge of the water, and, and it's fading, like it's seconds away from dying. And um, I walk over there, and as I walk over there, I sort of sit down and just give the animal its peace. You know, I don't want to give it an adrenaline rush or anything like that because it could take longer for it to die. So I just sit down quietly and snap. Massive big saltwater crocodile just lunges out of the water and grabs his pig and starts swimming it out across this river. Whoa. I was seconds away from walking down there and essentially dragging that pig back up the bank a bit so I could get photos. That croc was sitting right there. Like within seconds, that crocodile was sitting on the edge of the bank or just under the water where it could grab that pig. That's how quick it can happen. People walk down and go, I'll just be quick. I'm just going to wash my face really quick. It's always hot there. So the most appealing thing in the heat is, like, you see water, and it's like, oh, water. Go down there. I'm just going to splash a bit of water over my face and arms. It'll be real quick. Gone. And they go for anything. Yeah, they go for anything. So they, don't have a, they don't have a reluctance to kill people at all. Definitely not. And then um, there's... Oh, Jesus. Look this, at this. Got yeah. an elephant by the nose. Well, that's not a stray. There's a bloody elephant there. Yeah, that's a Nile croc. There goes your pay rise, Jamie. Come on, <laughs> Still mate. a crocodile. Aren't they the same animals? Nah, yeah. Similar. What's the difference between the, the crocodiles in Australia and those fuckers? I don't know. Those fuckers they are in uh, Florida now. Yeah. Assholes in Florida. Florida is just overrun with assholes. Not yes, everybody. If you're listening, crocodile Dundee. If you're listening in Florida and you're a nice person, I, I appreciate it. Steve yeah. Owen, legend. Yeah. Um, the crocodiles in uh, the Nile crocodiles have been in uh, introduced to Florida. Assholes have just that released them safe. into the Everglades. No, it's not. They have a, a shoot to kill. Oh, no, it's not. I'm being sarcastic. I know. I know you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was being sarcastic back. They have a, a shoot on sight uh, order. Like really? if you see a Nile crocodile, you're supposed yeah. to kill it on sight because they're they're oh, terrified of them developing a sustainable population. Because the crocodiles they have, the native crocodiles mm. in Florida, are small, but they're very aggressive. They're way more aggressive than alligators, but they're smaller. Yeah. Okay. But now they have these fucking Nile crocs, which that's just absolute savage and just. Swallow a person whole, and you're talking about the Everglades, which is just overrun with things for them mm. to eat. So there's a high likelihood of them achieving a large size. Where did they get that idea from? They're assholes. People have them as pets. The same thing as pythons. You know the python yeah. situation in Florida. Yeah, so people have had them had them as pets and then mm -hmm. released them into the wild. Yep. Is that how they got there? Yeah, yeah. they get too big. And they go fuck this man. <laughs> I'm gonna let it go. 
I'm a, hey, you little crocodile, <laughs> go out and enjoy the wild. Yeah, and no. they think they're doing the right thing by releasing this thing into the fucking swamps. Oh, and that's then, hellish. Well, they have a breeding population now. They have a breeding population of Nile crocodiles in fucking Florida. Yeah. So back to the Australian introduced species. It, like, it didn't stop at uh, foxes. They kept making these mistakes. You know, the cane toads. We have a lot of trouble with the cane toads now. Cane toads? Cane toad. What's a cane toad? Oh, they've virtually overtaken Australia. They're going to have their own businesses and run for parliament and everything eventually. <laughs> what, oh, are, what are like, they? They're like a big toad. You're, you're making your, got, you're opening your hands yeah, like they're, a pizza. They're freaking jo- oh, not a pizza. Oh my god! There's a cane toad. Whoa, that thing's huge. It's so like a bunny rabbit. Yeah, they got these glands on their back and it's got a poisonous toxin in it. Oh, that's great. And so our bird wildlife, our snakes. I know you hate snakes, but the snakes are protected in Australia. By the way, you can't just go and kill a snake when you want. Hmm. And they've still got their place there, hundred percent. Snakes have got their place in Australia. The snakes eat them, and these poisonous toxins will kill out the snakes. They'll kill out bird life. Just Ugh. they're they're just horrific. Jesus Christ! Look at the size of these things. So why and did they bring in the me, toads? Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure they brought them in to fight off a cane beetle that was eating our cane crops. <laughs> and there's that many other bugs in that that the cane toad would have been like, yeah, I'll just eat what I want. What a stupid thing. Can't Pe- we learn? Well, people are very, very infantile with the, the perspective on the, the ecosystem. Mm. Like the the idea that you could just, oh, we've got a little problem here. I yep. got well, There's a little opening. I'll stick a, a slot in there, just shove a predator in there, and it'll fill that opening. Like th- no. that they didn't consider all the other animals yeah. that this thing would eat. It's just, if they want to do something, what they should do, instead of introducing shit like this. Look at this. Check your is, load for a cane toad. Yeah. Check your there, load. There you go. Check mm. your load. Mm. Jeez. Cane toads are great stowaways and can be easily transported in your goods and luggage. When you are packing up to leave from an area where cane toads are present, it is important to thoroughly check that you are not accidentally carrying a cane toad. Wow. Yeah, they're not a good thing. Tasmanian tiger? Yeah. Have you heard of the Tasmanian tiger? Yeah. Yeah, it's like extinct now, right? Yeah. But they got the DNA from one. They're going to reinduce something. Let's do it. Are they going to reintroduce one? They have the DNA from one? They won't, but they should. Now, if they had wanted to introduce that, if they wanted to take the DNA from a Tasmanian tiger and reintroduce it, wouldn't they have to have something that was like a similar animal and, and reintroduce it? Like, Possibly. It I don't know how it right. works. I think I got that from Jurassic Park. Probably. I'm pretty that's sure. That's true, though. I think that's how they do it. <laughs> well, isn't that what they said they were going to do with the woolly mammoth? Like, there was this Russian scientist that were thinking about reintroducing the woolly mammoth, mm. and they were going to use the DNA from a woolly mammoth from some, you know fossilized something or another and they were going to combine it with uh, the dna from a regular elephant okay i think that'd be interesting i think i think in some cases like that you know not trying to be god or anything but that should happen it's a good thing right it i don't know a tiger i think it was, it's only extinct because of human interactions right so i don't know i don't know either but 90 percent of everything's extinct 90 mm. percent of everything that's ever lived it's like where do you draw the line do we bring mm. back dinosaurs you know, when do we draw the line? Fuck, that'd be good hunting. Ooh. T-Rex. Do we bring back Bigfoot? Yeah. Dum, 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 dum. Would you hunt a T-Rex? Um, if there's enough of them. What if they taste good? Imagine that, because alligators taste good. Well, they do, yeah. Have you eaten one? Yep. John Dudley kills them all the time. He eats them. Yeah, he's a slayer. He's a slayer. Yeah. He said that their uh, tails, um, like alligator tail, like the meat from them, is apparently like more rich in protein than like elk or moose. Really? That's crazy. You'd like, be packing that into the backcountry. It's supposed to be like really good for you. Super lean. Mm. Cook it quick. 
it's sear it. Mm. We'll sear it, alligator. So mm. our crocodiles back home are protected as well. Oh, Jesus. There's no tag or anything for them. You can't kill a crocodile if you, you can't see kill one? a crocodile, no. no. What That's They, they relocate up. them. So, so the <laughs> here, city go of, kill something over here, please. Yeah, the, the the city in the Northern Territory, which is all part of Arnhem Land, there, is is Darwin City, and the river runs right into the city, and there's crocodiles right in there. So guys will go out clubbing or you know drinking and get drunk and think it's a good idea to jump in the river for a swim and Yahoo, and oh, no. they'll get snatched. So they catch all these crocodiles and they release them like. You know, miles and miles away, and these things come straight back into the same spot. And they're like these. This is what I'm hearing about these bears, right? Yeah. They catch these problem bears, and they release them where near I'm hunting, unfortunately. But they catch these problem bears, and they release them miles away, and then a week later they show back up to the same destination. Yeah. It's crazy. They know how to get back. They mm. have some sort of internal compass. One of the things about saltwater crocodiles that's so terrifying is a friend of mine was telling me that they were on some sort of a boat and they were like uh, deep out into the ocean, miles out, and they saw a saltwater crocodile mm. swimming out there. And I went, what? Yeah. Like how, how far? He said, I think he said he was something like three to five miles away from shore. Yeah. And this fucking crocodile is just out there swimming by itself. Crazy. <laughs> probably, probably going to eat a great white shark or some Fuck. shit. Fuck. It's a goddamn dinosaur. Yeah. How, Look at that thing. Yeah, that's crazy. When, this, when Cam came out and we were up in Arnhem Land and I was telling him about all the dangerous shit, you know, like a crocodile. Will, you know, there's crocodiles in any bit of water here. You won't even know and there'll be a crocodile in there. And how buffalo charge you and scrub bulls charge you. And I told him about all the poisonous bushes and everything. And at the end of one day, we got, we got back with like half hour light. And because I didn't pack any food in, we, we had to catch fish every day or try and shoot, some, shoot something to eat. So we got back half an hour early one afternoon. We're like, we'll go for a quick fish. We'll, we've got to catch some fish. You know, we've got to get some, some food into us. And we walk out, and it's stinking hot. It's like 56 degrees Celsius. They're, like, sweating it out. What is that, time. like, uh, Fahrenheit? Is it, like, 110? That's probably even a bit higher. Really? Yeah. It's hot. And I'm like, oh, we might be able to swim in one of the rock pools. You don't want to swim out in the ocean because one of them crocs is going to grab you. 122. Jesus Christ. A 50 is 122. What's 56? Oh, my God. Jack it up, baby. <laughs> 50. Oh, Jesus. 132? Yeah. yeah. Walk in the park. 132 degrees temperature. Oh, That's my God. That's why we're drinking buffalo piss because you had to keep hydrated or die. What does it feel like to be out in 132 degree temperature? You get used to it. How the fuck do you get used to that? It's You're like, cooking. It's like that. My, all my guys that work for me work in that temperature all summer. You could slow like cook a ham work. at 150 yeah, degrees. Yeah, you could. There was birds dying around us. Really? Yeah. There's a little video where I've got like, it might be a frogmouth owl or a tawny owl. And it's just that hot that it's just, it's on the ground. It's, it's out, you know, because it hasn't wow. had obviously a bit of HTO on that day. And anyway, so we're going out and there's a rock pool. I'm like, well, we'll be safe to swim in that rock pool. And the tide had gone out. We've got big tides, like seven-meter tides, you know, that come in and out every day. And the tide had been in, and when it had gone out, it left a bunch of box jellyfish in that little pool. <sighs> then the ocean itself where we're all fishing in, you wouldn't be able to dip your hand in the water without getting stung by box jellyfish. And box jellyfish will kill you. Oh, you're dead, dude. That was a, a four-and-a-half-hour chopper flight out to, to get there because we did it in the wet season. You couldn't drive any of the roads. Um, I had to hire a helicopter to get us out there. So it would have been four and a half hours for a helicopter to come in and then four and a half hours back to the hospital. You're dead in that time. You're dead in the first hour. Like, it's, yeah, 
you've got to have your wits about you in that sort of country for oh. sure. So, uh, box jellyfish, what do they look like? They're, they're unusual. They're tiny. Looking? They're nearly clear. They're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that. look, look at that shit. And that'll kill you instantly. And that's the one thing I didn't tell Cam about. And we get out to the rocks, and I'm oh like, my God. all the crazy shit that I've told you, dude. That's what would have killed us here. If we jumped in the water, like, oh, let's just jump in for a quick dip. Wow. Who's that mad bastard? That's that crazy fucker yeah. from uh, River Monsters. Yeah. Wow, look at that one that got that guy's leg. Go go back to that leg picture, Jamie. Go full screen on that. Fuck, yeah. man. That's, and that's a sick tattoo. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you keep that for life probably, right? And that, that life, did that person right? just get close and enough to the... Never go near the water again. Is it like an anti-venom? Oh, is that a baby? Oh, oh God damn. One-year-old? <gasps> oh, my God. That's... There, Will Smith was in a movie, remember? Mm. And he's going to uh, donate his organs at the end of the movie. And he's going to. that's how he commits suicide. He's going to jump in a bath with box jellyfish. What fucking movie was oh, that? I don't know. Was... I Am Legend? <laughs> <laughs> That's scary shit than I Am Legend. Yeah, it is kind of. I mean, yeah. there's so many monsters that seven, exist. Seven Pounds. Seven Pounds? Seven yeah, Pounds. I didn't see that movie, but that's the... What is that movie about? Uh, I think that's the one with the, the kid. The or kid? The kid. Uh, Isn't that the one where he's poor? Like, yeah, he becomes a successful person? There's the scene. Oh, I don't want to see that shit. I'll get that fucking thing away from me. Oh, this is—he actually does yeah, kill yeah. himself. So he actually does. Yeah, and he tips the box jellyfish in the water with him now. Oh, get out of here! I don't want to see this shit. Get the <laughs> yes, fuck. Yes, you do. You're coming out. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> That's a movie. He dies with box jellyfish. That's a retarded way to there, die. There it is. Nice. Oh, get the fuck out! They're of here. not even that big. Get That's that out tiny. of here, Jamie! I don't want to see it. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Oh, yeah. Anyway, when you come out, I won't take you near the ocean. Why are there so many things that kill you? Well, you take them in the ocean, then the fucking you know sharks why? get you. There's so many things that kill you? Because why? people weren't supposed to live in Australia. It's true. That's what I always think about work, because it's so friggin' hot. It's mm. so desolate that it's like it just wasn't designed for people, this part of the earth. No. That's it wasn't. how I think. Well, people didn't yeah. live then, so they didn't balance it out. It's some of the oldest earth on yeah. earth worked well, that shit out. Actually, I shouldn't say people didn't live there. Western. Dummies like you and I, yeah, no, white people. We definitely didn't. The indigenous people that lived there, they did. They lived on the mainland, and um, there's actually actually some really interesting areas up there. It's called the Dampier Archipelago in the Pilbara region of Western Australia, and there's over seventy thousand uh, rock art in the area. They still don't know the significance of it, but seventy thousand rock arts in that area. Wow kangaroos sea turtles creatures that we d don't even exist anymore when you look at the picture you're like was that a real animal they were drawing or were they just like ah, i'm just gonna fuck around here so they don't even something. know whether or not it was a real thing because it doesn't exist anymore doesn't exist anymore wow yeah well the the kangaroo thing we were talking about that before the podcast and we said we we're going to show this video um i did not know that kangaroos were protected like mm. you can't just shoot kangaroos over there all of our native animals you can't hunt any of our native animals in australia everything we can hunt there's 27 or 28 species are all introduced they're an invasive species like a feral pest that's right. why we're allowed to hunt them it's not like the american system where you're hunting your natives you right. know like your white tail and elk and everything like that and that's why we don't have a tag season or we don't have any 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 seasons at all. Right. In New South Wales, they've just introduced a, a season in the last couple of years. And there's one species of deer in um, Victoria, the lower part of Australia, where you need a tag for. That's it. 
all those other species you don't need a tag for, and there's no season. What species of uh, Hog deer? deer? Why do you need a tag for those? Oh, there's not a bunch of them, and, oh. and they're trying to manage them. It's really good what they're doing. They're doing a good job. Hmm. Hmm. So the kangaroo thing, I had no idea that mm. the numbers of kangaroos were as high as they are. So you were telling me about this looks like a kangaroo plague, and then Jamie pulled the video up, and this is fucking insane. Just Google kangaroo plague Australia, mm. and what you see is something from a fucking horror movie. It looks like <laughs> thousands of kangaroos. I mean, I have no idea how many there are, but they're just running across this field like ants. I bet you if they had antlers, they wouldn't. Jesus, I mean, it is up. completely insane when you look at that video. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah, so... That's it's, crazy. It's like I was saying, the same people that are like, you can't cull the kangaroos, you know, you can't hunt the kangaroos, you can't shoot the kangaroos. Well, kangaroos are a deer species, right? I don't think so. I think they're like a marsupial really? cousin a mars of a mm. deer. Okay. That's I crazy. think. I think they even taste like deer. They taste good. Do they? Really rich red meat. Super, super lean. A lot of the lot of lot of the bodybuilders and stuff like that love kangaroo meat. When did kangaroos start getting joked, yoked up? What, they always had big muscles. They've always had big muscles. We didn't see that in America until recently. Didn't you? No, really. The internet yeah. over the last few years has showed us ah, big kangaroos kangaroo. choking each other. Yeah, they just like get out there. They're doing weights and shit and pumping. That's what it looks up. like. They're fucking giant. <laughs> yeah. There's a video of those two kangaroos fighting. One kangaroo chokes the other one yeah. unconscious. Look at that kangaroo. Yeah, yeah. They're like buff. that's normal. Like, come on, man. That's incredible. We never saw kangaroos like hey, that when I was buff, a kid. Yeah, so that's that looks like a big red kangaroo there. Well, someone's pet. The, the red ones are the biggest ones, right? Yeah, yeah, they're huge. My friend Eddie Ift was in Australia. He does. Uh, he's done a bunch of stand up out there, and he was out there with uh, some Australians. And I forget what the story. Look at the fucking. That yeah. doesn't even look real, man. Yeah, that, that does not look real. Bitch, you want to arm wrestle? Come oh, on. fuck that, man. <laughs> so that was what would happen with Eddie. He got out of the car for some reason, and he saw this kangaroo, and he thought it was a statue because it was so big. He thought it was. He thought it wasn't real. He said mm -hmm. it was like seven feet tall. It's like there's no fucking way this is a real kangaroo. He literally thought it was a statue because it was sitting there. And his friend starts screaming, get back oh, in yeah. the fucking car. And the thing turns around and looks at him. And then he realized that this giant thing in front of him was an actual kangaroo. And apparently they're very aggressive. Oh, if they're cornered or they feel threatened, they'll, they'll kick your stomach out. Because what they do is they latch onto you with their claws. They've actually got a real big claw. They've got claws like that. They'll latch onto arms. you. Yeah. And then they balance themselves on their tail and they kick with both legs. And they've got like a single toenail. That's like, look wow. at that thing. That look is insane. That does not look real. And the fact it's that they real. can balance oh, yeah, that spot. way on their back tail is incredible. Yeah, like, yeah we so don't... they'll balance on their back tails and they'll kick with both their legs. And then, yeah. Look how he's like balancing himself. That's so strange. It's such a strange you. animal. God, that is a oh, bizarre. He's full flexing. Come on, mate. Calm down. 200 pound ripped kangaroo crushes metal. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look at him. He's, he's, he's bending cans. Look at the arms of this motherfucker. Yeah. They're they so strange. They're a cool animal. Oh, they're very if cool. If you come up the farm, when you come out to Australia, you'll see, you'll see kangaroo fights. They do it all day. They every beat day. the shit out of each other? Yeah. Yeah. Do they always choke each other out? Because is nah. this some new shit? Are they learning how to do this? No, nah, that's pretty rare. Oh, yeah. hey, come Turns on. Oh. <laughs> I'll spinning back kick that thing right in the fucking chest. <laughs> you want some uh, bitch? <laughs> yeah, he's pissed. I wonder if he could yeah. take a leg kick. I always think uh, if I was going to fuck with a kangaroo, I would just arm drag him and take his back. I bet if you take nah, his back, he wouldn't know teddy. what to do. 
Oh, I don't know. Take his back. I don't know. Find out. Choke him. We'll test it out when we get there. Need some like thick clothing, a like Kevlar, <laughs> something where it can't <laughs> cut your guts out. Yeah. Because you know, it probably won't even go for your face, right? It'd probably go for your guts. Oh, go for your guts. And yeah. Kick you in the guts. If you can protect that, if you can figure out a way to like move in them, juke them, yeah. fake them, get them to move, get a hold of one of them paws, arm drag them. Get we'll the see. back. I've I'm going got... to film it. I'm filming it for sure. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. It'll be on the news. My Joe death. Rogan tries to take on a kangaroo today and gets his stomach kicked out. This is how I die by getting oh, choked. This is another oh, see, choke out. There's yeah. a bunch of these videos of these kangaroos choking each other out. Yeah, I've never seen them <clears> choke <throat> each other out. Oh, there's a great video. Um, these two kangaroos are fighting in like a suburban neighborhood. And they're in a street, and a one like kangaroo. Canberra. He gets like a like a what you would call like a vice grip clamp. Like yeah. In jujitsu, you would use or wrestling, you would like clamp. You like you scoop the back of someone's neck like this with one arm, and the other arm comes down, and you clamp down like this. This is it. And he fucking chokes him to sleep. This has got to be Canberra. For See sure. if you could find this. I don't think this oh, is it. Boys. They, 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 they just start kicking each other's asses. Nice. But they're in a like a regular neighborhood, fucking each other up. But see if you. F- oh, oh, look at that shit. kick! <laughs> he just boom. Push. You should commentate uh, this shit. I should, but yeah. it's all the standard moves. Oh. It's very uh, rock'em sock'em robots. Skills. Look how they snap each other's heads back too. Yeah, two good bucks. Yeah, they only go for the guts. Oh, look at that move though. I like how they balance on that tail. That is really crazy. See if you can find kangaroo chokes out other kangaroo because he puts them to sleep. Like literally that's gets awesome. the clamp down on them yeah. and then turns his neck. Like See, that's him. another thing we invented in Australia. Chokeouts. Yeah. I don't think so. I think kangaroos so. did. Kangaroos People did. learned from kangaroos. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, maybe someone actually saw. Maybe school too. The kangaroo. Maybe. I bet people didn't know that you could choke people out until they saw someone do it, right? Yeah, here it is. So he, they, they start going at it, and one kangaroo is see if you can find out where he does it. Oh, see, yeah. He's see, he gets, he gets a front headlock. <laughs> see, the one kangaroo is kind of being a bitch here. He's yeah. Like, I'm tired. You know, I can find you. Here it is. So he's got the clamp. Oh, see? Look shit. at the clamp. He gets a hold of the neck. And he's bending his neck in a really funny way, and he traps the head up against his chest. I mean, this is like a Japanese necktie right here. And he, he grabs a hold of it, and he's clamping <laughs> down on it. And it's not even like he's paying attention. It's like he's looking for girls. Hey, hey ladies. Look yeah, he knows he's got mm. this shit. Look at him. I wonder if he's done that before, if yeah, that's I his move. Yeah, i got this unlocked, baby. So he, he clamps down on it, and he holds it in place. And the kangaroo fights for a little while, and then, bam, passes out. That's awesome. And he's Look like, at him. what, Where's bitch? the cheese? What, bitch? <laughs> what a bizarre bodied animal. There's nothing like them. We've got, it's, we're so used to seeing these animals that they don't seem weird to us. Oh. Uh, but when I think about it, I'm like, these things are on two legs. Yeah. What else is on two legs? Nothing. Have you ever seen a platypus? Well, they kind of go on the front leg. Like, look there. Yeah, when they're just walking along. But have you ever seen a platypus? Not in real life. Ah, oh, platypus is just crazy to look at, even for me. And I've grown up with platypus. They used to be in the, the creeks and the rivers around home. They're, they're just so weird to look at. And the, the echidna and just, when I start thinking about our species, like the wombat, the wombats are just crazy. They dig the, they're all over the farm. You'll see them everywhere when you come out. Um, they just dig these massive big holes and they're just, they're the craziest creature you've ever seen. It's just like the, a big, big, fat, stumpy rat. I know the name Wombat, but honestly, I couldn't pick one out of a lineup. Really? I don't really know what it looks like. But what I, let's get to that kitch. What is it? Kitchna? What is it? How do you say it? Echidna. Echidna? Yeah. Echidna. I want to see what a kidna is first. What's a kidna? Oh, it's just a little, it's a 
This looks like a porcupine. Oh, it's, one, no, one. it's like, better than a porcupine, that's dude. All I could find Come on. I looked it up. Your shit's jacked again. Really? Yeah. They yeah. got this crazy beak. Only one uh, ear again, Jamie. Hmm. It's got a crazy beak. It's got a crazy beak. It sniffs out like ants in an in an uh, ant mound, and it'll dig out the ants. It'll go. It'll dig out ants in logs. It sniffs them out and just look at that dude. How Whoa. crazy is that? Yeah, that's a kidna. Yeah, me and the kids were just. Um, there was one on the road the that other has day. That's a beak. Yeah, it's got a. Full that's beak. a beak. Yeah, hedgehogs look like that kind of. That's better yeah. than a hedgehog. That looks like a hedgehog. Definitely right? better than a hedgehog. <laughs> What's that thing? Get rid of it. <laughs> Come on. Well, it's We're weird. It's like Australia part right bird. It's got a beak like a bird. It's part sick, awesome animal. That's Whoa, what look at that. Yep. What a fucking bizarre little so, thing. There was one on the road digging the other day. Well, they have a month now because I've been away for so long. And uh, me and the kids, whenever we see them on the road, we'll move them off the road. And mm. the kids got out and, and you can actually... All those, those spikes are super sharp, but you can actually touch them because it's taken up so much room on your hand. Like, you know, there's 100 spikes on each hand. You can actually touch them. And uh, we, we moved this thing off the road, and, and, I, and the kids were even normal about it. They were like, oh, yeah, cool, kidna, you know, because they've seen them 100 times. And I was like, anyone that wasn't from Australia, though, that was seeing this for the first time, this animal with a beak, when I started thinking about it, and these turn back claws, like their claws turn back like that. It's for digging, right? Right craziest animal in the world when you think about it in that sense you know if you'd never ever seen one before and you come across it for the first time you'd be like whoa look at this thing this thing's crazy yeah it's like a porcupine fucked a duck <laughs> right doesn't it look like that like kind of like how does it have a beak that's not a bad well, like a platypus too there that's a they lay yeah. eggs but they're a mammal yeah and they got like a the big duck beak yeah right? it's crazy and they lay, but the laying of the eggs is so strange yeah, yeah. like what is that they got a poisonous spike as well they do yeah where is yeah, it? Underneath them. Whoa. Like it might be like a anal spike or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Not hmm. nice. I probably wouldn't want to play around with one. Yeah, don't finger its butt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's the wide variety of animal life is very weird. Yeah. It's very weird when you think about how many different things. And then again, what you were talking about about the introduction of foxes and mm. and, and cats, they all fit into a system. Mm. Like look at that thing. That There's is a platypus. Crazy, yeah. So it has like this funky, like kind of furry beaver looking tail. It has a the tiniest a little duck dots beak, for eyes. Yeah. F- webbed feet. What? Have you ever eaten beaver? Nah. Had beaver with Ranella. It's really good. Really? Yeah, it's delicious, yeah. man. It tastes like beef. I don't like the sound of it. I know. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't have normally even thought that you could eat it, but uh, he he killed one. And then uh, braised it, and then slow cooked it, and it was like a pot roast with like potatoes yeah, and carrots. Right. It was delicious. I think it was after so being good. in bear camp, I could never eat a beaver. Because remember the dead beavers in bear camp? Oh yeah, yeah. It was just, it's the thought now. Really? Yeah, I couldn't oh, do it. I could. Unless I was slightly hungry, I'd do it. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, if Steve Vanella cooked you a bowl of this beaver pot roast or whatever the fuck it is that yeah. he made. It was amazing. It was really good. Oh, it sounds good. It was like like a strange beef. Like what an odd, like maybe. A you, strange beef. Yeah, like you yeah, got. You're turning me off again. You no, had me it's like a, like a beef from. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, no, Like, where is this? This is beef from Nicaragua. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's got a different flavor to it. You know what I mean? It's like a, yeah. it's just, it's like, it's reminiscent of beef, like a cousin of beef. That's what it tastes like. A cousin of beef. It's very weird. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fatty. 
and it's kind of like tender. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, Steve will have to hook me up on a hunt. I'm telling you, you'd be shocked. Somewhere around, along the line, they made it illegal to hunt them for food, though. They're a fur-bearing animal. Yeah. So you have to have a fur so, trapper's yeah. license in yeah, America okay. to eat them. Yeah. But there's people at the turn of the century, like, Ranella is amazing in his knowledge of the history of animals in America and the history of hunting in America. But apparently, many, many, many years ago, um, beaver trapping and beaver pelts were so valuable that the richest man in the world in, like, you know, like the early 1800s mm. made all of his money from beaver pelts. Really? Yeah. We should bring that back in. I'd kill some beavers for some <laughs> well, I think cash. It was before felt, and once they came up with felt, like for hats and stuff like that, because yeah. the gentlemen wore felt hats, they uh, they didn't need beaver as much anymore, mm. and beaver kind of fell out of out of f- favor, and people uh, stopped stopped doing that. I wonder how big uh, uh, numbers the the beaver population dropped at that time. Oh, gigantic! You know, that that seems what yeah. Yeah, that apparently sort of history a lot of behind animals, you know, when mm-hmm. they've got that value on them and there's just an open slaughter is what seems to drive a lot of things to extinction. Well, that's one of the interesting things about America. Like, if you buy elk or venison in mm. America, most of it is from New Zealand, mm. which is really strange. It and is the strange. The reason is you can't, like, market hunting sl- was like a, a giant factor in the slaughter of countless amounts of buffalo, yeah. of elk, of deer, even antelope. Mm. Like they killed everything back in the day, and it was a lot of men returning from the war at the turn of the century that just went on, you know, these trips. And that was that's the way that you could make money. The way mm. you can make money is uh, go go hunting for meat, yes. and that's then they brought that slaughtered. meat to market. Mm. Yeah, I mean the, I think. The idea of these animals being like precious and preserved and wildlife, the way we think of it, they didn't have these thoughts in the 1800s. They mm. were just it was a resource, and and they just abused it. And they just sh- I mean we've all seen the photos of the stacks of buffaloes. Yeah, definitely. A lot of them the, were just for the hides. Where we are today is definitely. I think a lot of people think that's still happening today. Like hunters are still that sort of person, whereas hunters are the ultimate conservationist now and the system that america's got in place is the best system anywhere in the world where there's a tag there's a season they they manage and regulate the population so so let's just say uh elk the numbers were um down the following year well there'd be less tags available it's as simple as that and and that's why it's such a good system in australia we don't have that that system in place but in a sense it's pushed pushed all the responsibility back on hunters like i i I can tell you now you australian hunters are some of the best hunters in the world because they've got to conserve and they've got to manage their resources their self there's nothing in place to say well we're only giving 500 tags away for that area this year um because numbers are down hunters as much as we are conservation conservationists um we're not going to go out and just slaughter the numbers, you know. They're 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 an introduced species into Australia. Uh, they are bad to the environment if the numbers are too big, and hunters treat them like that. We we're we're not going to go out and wipe out the whole population. So um, hunters are very good at uh, you know. There's only twenty bucks in this area at the moment, and there's because there should be a certain buck to doe ratio. There's only twenty bucks in this ha- area at the moment. We're not going to kill nineteen of them. 
there's going to be one buck left. You know, we're going to kill the oldest buck in that area. There's only 20 there. Let's just kill the oldest buck in that area. That's a good population. Um, it's sustainable. They're not damaging the environment in that number. Um, and I think there's a big difference there between the American and the Australian hunter in that sense that um, you guys would do the same thing. Don't get me wrong. If there wasn't a tag in place or a season in place, you, today's society would do the same thing because we've learnt from the past. Some some would, but there's a bunch of people that wouldn't. Yeah. You know, there's a, the majority, though. Yeah, yeah. the majority. But yeah. uh, I think there's quite a few that wouldn't you yeah. know it's that's uh i mean that that is one of the the main stereotypes of the hunter is like beer drinking mm. shooting everything that moves and, and i feel today that it couldn't be further from the truth it seems like there's more of the responsible hunter the one that's got a good job or he's or or a good business or whatever it is that goes out and and you, you've been the perfect example of that i wanted to thank you when i first come on the show that the light that you've shown on hunting is is how hunters are today the majority of hunters are today we're just not these savage killer machines that are just like yeah kill it you know we're, we're very conservative in a sense um you know it's not just about going out and getting a shot off if you are that sort of hunter i believe you're in it for all the wrong reasons um it's about the experience the connection with with the outdoors that that meat that precious meat you know that you get off each each one of those animals also mm. the money that we spend on gear the money that you spend on outfitters and mm -hmm. trips that money in tags in particular all goes to conservation yeah. to preserving the habitat of these animals and a lot of these animals like especially like white-tailed deer there's more white-tailed deer here in america today than there mm. were when columbus came here mm. and some and, of that incomes all some of these small towns rely on right yes sure. is, is is through hunting and something that i've always pushed because it's frowned upon in Australia in a big way because it's 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 not the typical thing to do. Hunting's not it's no definitely not, not. popular. Definitely no. not. And it's and it's not accepted like it is here in America. How did you get into it? I got myself into it, which was really really weird. Hoyt were asking me the same thing. They're like, "Oh, so did your dad hunt?" And I'm like, "No, you know, like I come from a broken family. Um, I seen a bow up in a store and I was like, um, what's that thing?" Because it was like a compound bow, you know. I'm like, what's right. that thing? And he's like, oh, it's a bow. And so I end up buying the bow. And when I bought the bow, he gave me like it was just a black and white magazine. Like I was only 17. I'd run around with uh, like a fiberglass pole with a string bent on it before and used to make my own arrows, like Robin Hood stuff, you know. But never had seen anything like that. And the magazine he gave me was a guy with a massive big water buffalo on the front cover. And I'm like, you can kill things with this? <laughs> You know, and I was like, the majority of people that have never hunted been like, it, like, so you can kill a rabbit with one arrow, but if you're going to shoot a buffalo, it must, like, take 20 arrows. You right. Know? So I was like, at the time, like, he must have shot it, like, 20 times or something like that to kill it. No. A rabbit's got a pair of lungs. A buffalo's got a pair of lungs. You put a hole through both of those lungs, that thing's dead in the same amount of time. Well, now I've shot a bunch of buffalo, you know, and it's just like, that's the craziest thing, isn't it? It was just like, there was a guy in a magazine... With a buffalo dead, and I was like, you can kill things with that. And now I'm like this full-blown hunter, you know, and it's just... How did... What was the process, though? So you got a bow, and did you take lessons? Did you teach no, yourself? No, lessons just taught myself. Well, yeah. Now, what year is this? Um, well, I was 17. I'm 20... Uh, no, not 20. <laughs> shit, I wish I was 20. 29th tomorrow in a, to here, right? It's my birthday in Australia today, so I'm 30, 36. So I was 17 at the time. 
So it would have been 97. Mm, so it's almost 20 years. Yep, it's almost so 20 years. So you're yeah. dealing with very little internet back then, right? No internet. No internet. Yeah. So even though we invented Wi-Fi, we didn't have internet. <laughs> you guys didn't have Australia internet. We probably maybe, did. I was, like maybe. I said, I was poor. I didn't know. But you're not. My point is, you're not getting any information. No online. lessons. Yeah, teaching. Learn all your own mistakes. That's why I was. I I actually was a big part of a bow hunting forum in Australia for many years, and I just like if I had that when I was coming up through bow hunting, the time, energy, and money that I would have saved by by just getting the right information straight off the internet, like being able to do research or or even ask going to a club and there's you know, there's twenty other guys at the club that you could at least get information out of. I never had any of that. But shit still got killed. You know, and that's what I always say to people, you know, you 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 don't need the best of everything. If your budget can only afford you, you know, some recurve bow and some cheap arrows, I guarantee you're still going to be successful with that that gear if you put in the time. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, so I, I just had this cheap bow, cheap arrows, probably didn't even wear camouflage at the time, and just went out into the outdoors and just worked it out myself. And this was pre-range finders? Pre-range finders. So yeah. how did you decide like where to aim? It was a guess. It was you're using <laughs> no. Well, it was you're using your own knowledge. You're right. using your own skills. That's what sucks about some of today's technology in that, because you lose that right. Right. You're using a rangefinder. You're relying on a rangefinder. I still go out to the range sometimes, where I'll just go around shooting clumps of grass or whatever with no rangefinder. Guess the distance, have a shot, then range it. Just just so you get to learn distances and no distances. Mm. Um, I'm pretty good at like 30 yards. No, <laughs> 10. <laughs> no release aids, dude. Right, so you did it yeah, with your fingers? it was all fingers. When did you and, start using a release aid? Um, I don't know what year it was, but... Um, 10 years in? Yeah, about 10 years in. Were you making your own arrows? Who was making yeah, arrows I'd for make you? Yeah, make my own arrows. They were all timber arrows. Like you'd use timber arrows, a big two-blade broadhead. Um, you're saying timber? Is that what you're saying? Timber, yeah. Timber, like wood. wood. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So wood arrows. You're making your own wood arrows? Yeah. Like you're cutting your own dowels in the whole deal? Some guys did. You'd be able to just buy, you know, like 12 dowels already spine. They'd all be spine tested to say 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then you'd glue your broadhead on, you'd sharpen the front up, you'd glue your broadhead on. You glued it on? Yeah, you'd glue your broadhead on. Hmm. No inserts. There was yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And then feathers, you'd use five-inch feathers on everything. Wow. And just fingers on the string, three fingers on the string. No sights or anything like that. It was just open-sided. It was very instinctive shooting. Or right. S- or some guys would use the arrow and line up down the arrow. They'd yeah. They'd down the arrow at the animal. But... um. A lot of the times we were effective out to 50, 60, 70 meters. If you did enough practice, you were still effective out to those ranges, but it took a lot more time. Did you weigh your arrows and weigh your broadheads? Yeah, you'd weigh your arrows and broadheads. So you kind of kept them in a certain range? Yeah, you'd keep them all identical. You'd spin test them all once you put your broadhead on them. Um, You could get spine testers back in those days, and you'd spine test them, and you'd turn your shaft to get to the closest spine it wouldn't be perfect on each one we're talking timber here right and you get your spine pretty accurate on each one you'd glue your broadhead on in that sense and you and you uh you knock as well so so they were everyone was spine the same up and down yeah wow dude you're, yeah, it was you're good. a it goddamn was pioneer yeah it was simple oh no nah. yeah a funny you're basically thing. like a mountain man mountain one of them man. trappers that came over here on <laughs> 
some beaver skin canoe. Yeah. That's but crazy, you'd have man. to practice a lot. So I can go. I'll go out with my. I've got the Hoyt Defiant there, and I'll sight that bow in, and you know I can. I'll just shoot once a week or whatever. You know, if I can shoot daily, I will. But with traditional gear, you had to shoot daily. Mm. You had to have. I'd have fifty or a hundred arrows every single day, just just to keep the skill level up. Um, and it was the same shooting a bow that was open sights. You know, no sights or anything like that in fingers. You had to constantly shoot that bow to be to be accurate. So it's almost like throwing a rock in that you've got to kind of have a sense of how the, far it's going to go with the amount of effort. Exactly and, like throwing a rock, yeah. And where to pick it up so that, you, like, if you know it's a certain distance away, you yeah. know, you kind of, in your head, know the arc of the arrow. Yeah, I wouldn't get a new bow every year because I would, if you got a new bow, you had to start all over again. Right. Whereas I knew the cast of that bow, you know, I know where an arrow fell. I know where an arrow shot flat to. Yeah. Um, but like I said, you, hunting, I used to kill just as much back then as I do today, with today's technology, but I've got to spend less time with today's technology. Well, you're also in Australia, which is very different because you, what you're saying no, is you can, you can hunt all year round. You can hunt all year mm. round. You can shoot things every day. You can shoot as many animals as you want. Exactly. So you could go out in one day and kill 12 deer, and that's fine. You just take them and give you the meat could. away to your friends. And you wouldn't if you, you you wouldn't unless you were just culling because the numbers have got right, so bad. Of course. Um, like but you a, could. You could. You yeah. definitely could. Yeah, and there'd be no one would bat an eye at this. And then you just have a lot of friends and just give, <laughs> them, give them the meat. Yeah, a Everybody lot of friends. Yeah, like to come over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you, uh, do you wind up giving a lot of your meat away? Heaps. Heaps. Heaps, yeah. Um, I, I like shooting a deer while they're fat, so before they go into the rut, because right. they go into the rut fat and they come out looking like a greyhound, you know. Yeah. They just... They just lost so much condition. Um, so I like to shoot a couple of deer before the rut. And um, they've also got a lot of fat on them at that point, which is really good for making sausages. I like making my own sausages. I'll fill the freezer with that. And then I've just got a list of just family. Like, put friends aside, I've just got a list of family that will take the meat off me, um, which is really good because especially with the deer, a lot of the deer meat gets all used. Some of our big mountain boars and things like that... It, I'm not a big fan of eating them big rank boars, you know. It's just, it's super, super gamey. But it still doesn't go to waste. It's dog meat or it goes back in the mother nature right there and then. Have you uh, ever brined them? Like brine a, a boar ham? I'd like to try. Yeah. But, uh, my buddy Antonio does all that sort of stuff and he makes those um, like like big cranksy sausages, like mm -hmm. a cured sausage. Man, delicious. Awesome. Yeah, apparently, like, if you cook them well, those old boars are really delicious. You just yeah. have to know how to, like, brine them and cook them well. Well, the Europeans the right love them. Yeah. yeah so, so we've got our professional, like, pig hunters back home that hunt for human consumption. The meat goes to human consumption. And the majority of it gets sent overseas. Like, they love it, and they pay big dollars for it. Are they? How do they consume it? In, like, about sausage or... Anything, I suppose. I think mm. the whole the whole animal gets shipped. Right, over. but I wonder what they, how they mainly eat it. Don't know. Hmm. The rut is a crazy thing, man, and most people aren't aware. But deer and elk, and I guess stags and a lot of those other animals, they only have sex once a year. Mm -hmm. So all Fuck year, that. it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but what a crazy design! Hey. Like nature has it set up so most of the year they're not even horny. Yeah. Yeah. Then one time a year they lose their fucking Mind. minds. Just crazy. Like, don't eat, don't drink. That's the only thing on their mind. Just go ballistic all day long, sometimes all night long. I've never hunted deer in the rut. 
I've only hunted deer, you know, uh, in Wisconsin in season and uh, in uh, Montana we uh, hunted deer and they weren't in the rut. But apparently when they're in the rut, they lose their marbles. But I've seen elk in the rut. And it's the most bizarre thing. Can't even control their tongue they're, anymore. Just their hanging tongue's out. hanging out. Their dick is flopping yeah. up and down when they scream. Yeah. Literally, they have a, a rod going all the time. Yeah. They're jizzing all over their chest. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. It's our, a, our red stags, they put their head between their legs, like they're in the rut. They'll put their head between their legs. They piss in their mouth, right? <laughs> they hold it all in their mouth. Then they gurgle it as they trot along, so all the spray goes all over their body. What? Like, imagine doing that before sex. Like, <laughs> just yeah, I just got to get this done, babe. You know, I'm just going to piss in my mouth and spray it all over me. I got to get ready, baby. You know how I feel about you. And you I know how happy they first. are when that happens? Like, they're prancing around like, I'm king shit. Yeah. I wonder what that's all about. Like, what kind of evolutionary advantage is there to pissing in your own mouth and spraying it up? You in reckon the air? we ever done that? And then they're just like, you know, we're not going to write this bit in anymore because <laughs> it's just drastic. We really don't need it. There's no benefit. You get yellow teeth. You yeah, know. you just lie on your shoulders. You mm. put your ass up in the air and you just piss. <laughs> Hold on to the back of your knees. You got to scoop them and pull your dick towards your face. Ah, uh, it's hard, but it's awesome to see in nature. <laughs> I got to see that yeah. see if you can find that is it a red deer yeah red deer yeah. i think a rooster deer might do it too they, they're super medieval are they the ones things. that roar like a, a roar. lion yeah what a weird yeah. fucking noise that is so people that a lot of people don't even realize there's deer in australia there's six species in australia and they'll go out camping and they'll hear that and they're and you know they're like oh there's a big cat in australia you know, like, because that's like a bit of a myth, you know, like there's big cats in Australia. And right. that's what makes a lot of people think of it. You know, they're like, we're scared shitless. We couldn't sleep last night. And I'm like, where was it? Where's the spot? I want to know where the spot is because I know it's a deer. Right. Yeah. Well, did you hear that there was a rumor for like years and years and years, people had talked about spotting big cats in the UK. Yeah. And then they Same found the out that there was a fucking sanctuary that released big really? cats. Yes. They just admitted to it. And in the 90s, I think. I mean, late 80s or the 90s, they had released, like, a, a couple of pumas in the UK countryside. Pumas? So, yes. So pumas. Puma. Pumas. No, like the sneaker, puma. <laughs> like, uh, welcome to America. Oh, here he is. He's pissing. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, he's pissing in his fucking mouth. Oh. oh. What in the hell? Yeah. And he loves it. Have he's you like, tried yeah. it? Don't knock it. Give it a go. Mm. Oh, no. Oh, he's pissing all over himself. He Jesus. doesn't even look like he's look in the right. He's, he's doing. just doing it for the fuck of it. Mm. You don't think he's in the rut? No. Nah, there's another stag there. He should be beating the shit out of it. Well, he's a little one, though. The yeah. other stag's big. He probably got to be real careful he fucks up. with that other dude. Are they penned up? He's not doing it right. Uh, yeah, he should be, like, pissing right in his mouth so he can Google it. Well, that's the thing in New Zealand, right? In New Zealand, a lot of the stags are they're high fence. I hate it. I don't want to piss off some hunters that do it, but close range is, like, against everything that i'm about because it's it's a fake currency for what hunting is you get these massive big red stags and just crazy inches on top of inches right no one ever writes oh this is the closed range stag that i shot in new zealand mm -hmm. no one ever writes that they're just like oh i've got a big red stag you know blah blah and and so many hunters that that aren't educated in that sense and i'm not having a stab at them from not being educated they shouldn't have to be in that sense are looking at that going oh that's what you can expect when you go to new zealand or right. Australia. No, it's friggin' not. They're penned animals. Right, and, and they, they feed got, them high-protein food. They feed them high-protein food. They're, they're being genetically bred. It's just all that crazy shit. That's the fake currency of a red stag in Australia and New Zealand. Free-range red stags aren't like that. If you shoot a free-range red stag like that in Australia or New Zealand, that's going to be the record.
Right. That's going to be the absolute record. That's not the true... That's not the example of what you can expect if you come to Australia or New Zealand and hunt free range. Isn't that the, the that's the difference between free range and fair chase and mm-hmm. these high fence operations? And it's very it's a very contentious argument because a lot of people are growing these white-tailed deer in America, and they're again they're introducing this crazy food to their diet, and they're they're growing these mm-hmm. ridiculous racks that don't even look like racks. Yeah. Have you ever seen those? Yeah, they look yeah. like bushes growing yeah. out of their head, and they look so fake. Yeah, I don't. I think they're ugly. They I are don't ugly. Enjoy looking at them. I don't enjoy looking at yeah. them either. They're, it looks weird. It's like yeah. like some sort of a strange weird bred dog mm. or something. Like when you see their antlers and you know their two hundred ninety inch white tails. Like what is yeah. that? It should, because hunting should be so natural, yeah. and that's so far from being natural, especially when it's wildlife. I'm not talking about walking around with a stick and string that you've carved out of a tree yourself. I'm talking about just a natural environment, right. landscape and animal. Yeah, well, animals that are living in the wild, mm-hmm. literally no interaction with people other than when the hunter, especially what you're dealing with, because you're dealing with very few hunters mm. and like expansive areas where very few people even go into. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't muck around. They see you, and they're gone like that. There's no like, oh, that's what, that dude might have food in his pocket. I'm going to walk <laughs> over there and have a feed. No. They're like, yeah. what the? Gone. There's another big issue in America where they have these feeders, and these mm. people, they put a blind outside of a feeder, and then the feeder goes off at a certain time, and these people sit in the blind and wait for the feeder to go off because the mm. deer are programmed to come towards the feeder when it's going off, and you just whack them. Yeah, I'm not interested in that myself, but I don't, I don't frown upon it. Like They call it baiting, right? Well, what it is is it's like meat acquisition. Mm. It's not really hunting. I mean, it's probably better and, for and, the animal. And than... they've put the effort in to set that up right and trick yeah. that animal. So it's a little bit like, like I said, it's not my style of hunting, but the, it's the free range thing really gets me. I don't want to go on about it because I'm going to upset too many people. But I know what you're saying, but think mm. about what you were saying earlier about your experience in Montana. You're you know, 11 days in, 12 miles mm. deep into the woods by yourself. That's the real deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is as real as it gets. But there's a thing about hunting where, you know, people that are really into bow hunting look down on people that shoot with a rifle. Yeah. People that are really into wilderness hunting and mm. fair chase look down on people that hunt high fence. And I, I you know, there's, uh, I get the arguments. I, mean, I even get the arguments for some high fence. Like a friend of mine went to this high fence operation in uh, Texas. And I was like, man, that seems kind of crazy that these animals are all penned. And he's like, it's 10,000 acres. He's like, the fence circles 10,000 acres. He goes, but they're put there, right? Yeah. Or they're genetically well, they're, bred they're still. Well, they're put there. They're axis well, deer and all sorts of, yeah. uh, like, Neil guy and all sorts of weird yeah. foreign species. He's like, yeah, they have been put there, but mm. they're they're wild. Yeah. And like, they're Roman wild. I'm like, hmm, man, that's a weird argument then. Because I get it. I mean, like, I'm not totally, look, if I needed to hunt for meat, it's a good way to do it, right? Even if it's only a few hundred acres, you know the animals are there. You just go find them and get them for meat. But even if it's 10,000 acres, like at what range is it really wild? Is it mm. wild at 50,000 acres? Is it wired at a hun- wild at 100,000 acres? Like if it's fenced in, if there's a fence anywhere. For me, it's just got to be unfenced. So, unfenced, period. So when I went to Africa, I got, I got pretty stitched up when I went to Africa. and Because it it's just like an operation. It's just an income for them, you know. Stitched up? What do you mean by that? Stitched up, fucked over. Oh, yeah? Yeah. By the outfitter there. Like he was just... He was a con artist, basically. But um, I don't want to go into too much detail. But So I was supposed to go straight into Zimbabwe and hunt 
Buffalo, Cape Buffalo. Ooh, and Those are dangerous. Yeah, before I got there, he took me to his, they call them ranches or whatever there, and, it's, and it, all that means is high fence operation. In the South Africa, and I understand parts of South Africa because it has bred animals that are on the brink of extinction, and then it's good for them because they're there now. But it's just not for me, that close-range hunting. and Everything's close-range, you know. It's just, I, I absolutely hated it, you know, because I just want an animal that's 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 there naturally um, or has not been genetically bred or brought in or anything like that. And, and before I got there, these guys were like, what size buffalo do you want to shoot? And I'm like, well, we'll just see what's big for the area. Like, that's all you can do. You can only shoot the big animal for the area. If you're after an old animal or a trophy animal, you can only shoot what's big for that area. So usually I spend the first half of the trip understanding what's a big animal or an old animal for the area. Then you'll hunt it for the other half of the trip. They're like, what size buffalo do you want to shoot? Well, let's just what's big for the area? Oh, no, we'll just bring one in on a truck before you get here. You just tell us what size you want. We'll bring it in and release it. What the fuck? If I'm going to do that, I'm going to go to a farm and say, can I buy that cow and cut it up for meat, right? Yeah. So, so, so that's a little bit on, on at least that operation in South Africa. I'm not saying they're all like that. There's a lot of them like that. Though. There is a lot of them like that. And then I end up paying extra because I'm like, no, if I've got to hunt free range, it's the only way I'm going to hunt. And, and that's what I was coming here for, to hunt a free range uh, Cape Buffalo. Then we end up in Mozambique at another place where we didn't see a bull for 10 days. Um, that outfitter, he'd never been to that place or, or he'd never taken other hunters there or anything like that. And I got there and, and the whole time he was like, yeah, no, no, you know, this is a real good area. You'll tag out straight away. You'll see hundreds of buffalo every day. And like I said, 10 days later, we hadn't even seen a bull. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's, it's a horrible industry over there in that sense. It's it's and it can I can be a, a blame as well. I should have done more research on that outfitter, um, but I but I won that hunt for a charity auction. It wasn't the sort of thing that I was like you know researching right. for weeks and weeks trying to find a good outfitter to to go to and shoot a Cape Buffalo. So that that was a bit unfortunate in that sense. There's an amazing documentary on it from Louis Theroux, uh, who's a wildlife or, or rather a documentarian uh, from uh, the UK. Great guy who um, he's been on the podcast a couple times and talked about it the first time but uh it's all about uh these these african high fence hunting trips mm. and he was over there for a long time and got the guy to kind of explain exactly what's going on over there but it it was just really bizarre to see people you know they 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 had these lions mm. and they had them like right there i mean there were, there was two sets of fences one fence and a fence right behind it and they took a dead calf and they throw it over the fence and they watch the lions tear it apart but you look at the lions are looking at the people you can go hunt those lions they just they just let mm. one loose no. they take it out and it's all high fence but they were explaining that these animals were on the verge of extinction just mm. a few decades ago and because of these high fence operations now they're thriving mm. but they're thriving in these bizarre conditions yeah. where they're, they're fenced in and Can't people Can't they just put them. them out in the wild and let them thrive out there in no, a closed-off area? You know, and then there's the poaching thing. Poaching is a weird word yeah. for it because a lot of those people are just hunting for food. Exactly, they're just, yeah. I, they're just I, poor people. The villages that I went through, because we'd find snares and, and they'd rip them down and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't um, the commercial side of poaching. It wasn't like they were collecting the antlers or ivory or whatever and selling it and getting massive amounts of dollars. These were people that were snaring to try and catch animals to eat. Yeah. 
if I'm going broke and my family's hungry, I'm going to be the first one to fucking step over a fence and kill something. Yeah. I can tell you right now because I know yeah. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. So there's a, there's a funny line there where where there's a couple of different types of poaching, you know, and it's that one that's commercial and they're just slaughtering everything, elephants, lions, rhino whatever, horns. rhino yeah. horns, which yeah. is freaking horrible. Yeah. Then there's the villager, or let's just call them locals because they live there. It's it should be their they're land. Just poor people. Exactly. They're just trying to feed their family. Like, yeah. man, I can't. I'm, there's no hate in that. No, there's no hate in that. And those people are shot. They shoot yeah. them. I mean, it's scary shit. I mean, apartheid is dead in South Africa, but goddamn racism is still real strong in a lot of areas there. And those people that are just poor black people that live that's, there. That's the other thing that I hated about the hunt, dude. They, they, man, the people that I was with were friggin' racist. Like, I come back from that trip and talking to Kim about it, and I was in, like, I choked up. I started crying. I can't believe what those people have to go through over there. And the, and they were the people that were helping me on the hunt. They were smiling. They were, they were happy the whole time. And here's these people saying he would kill his own mother for the scraps on the table. I'm like, how how can you friggin' say that? How dare you say that? You don't know that person. That's how they. That's what they were like. Just deeply ingrained generation after it. generation. I love the local people, but I hated the outfit that I was with. Wow, that's disturbing, yeah. man. It's just sad that, that. I mean, how do you ever fix that? Yeah. And, and you know what's really crazy is for a lot of people, that's their dream to go to Africa and hunt the big seven, mm. you know, or the big five, or yeah. all these. There's a, there's a, this movement of people acquiring all these trophies and going to Africa and shooting all these different animals, and that's the way they do it. They go to yeah. these outfitters that can guarantee they can get in front of these animals. Yeah. I think you've just got to do your research on the outfitters. Let's run yeah. all the scumbag ones out of the industry. Do your research on the, the outfitter. Talk to other hunters that have been there. Like, And not just one. Talk to six other hunters that have been there at operation. Demand for the numbers or the emails for who their past clients are and go there. Australia doesn't have that. Australia's built a hunting industry, which is tiny. It's like, have you ever heard about hunting in Australia? Like, oh, come to Australia and shoot a uh, whatever species of deer. You don't because it's, it's not that big. It's not like New Zealand or it's not like Africa where they've built a big industry on it. It's how, not did that, how did New Zealand get so big? Uh, I don't know. They must have had the right people or government pushing it at some point. Because people are always going there no, uh, New Zealand's known for it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful country, awesome. But um, Australia's industry is built on having excellent access to excellent numbers of game. So, so if you book a hunt in Australia, it's not like someone's gone, you know, there's a big industry here, so let's just make up a business, uh, Australian hunting safaris, and let's just get people in. We don't have game, but they're going to come anyway because we're known for hunting. You book a hunt in Australia, I guarantee you it's going to be at a place, as long as you do a little bit of research, but but practically everywhere has big game numbers, and that's why they've started the business on a hunting outfit because they've got so much game, and they're like, oh, this, is, this could work out really good for hunters. There's a ton of game here. Come along. So it's, a, it's, it's not like that in Africa. You know, a lot of those places have really got nothing you know, it's 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 arid lands, and uh, you fed all this bullshit that the hunting's going to be unreal, and it's and it's not at all, which is what I experienced. Now, when how many people though are willing to do something like what you did in Montana or what you and Cam did in Australia, which is probably even crazier yeah. because you didn't even bring anything with you. Why do you have to pre- keep bringing that up? Because <laughs> <laughs> you guys you guys survived <laughs> off the land. I mean, yeah. it's, how many days were you can, out there for? I can I I just want to fix yeah. something up about that. The helicopter pilot said. You've got to keep your gear basically to a backpack hunt. 
because the the chopper couldn't carry a lot of weight. Right. So um, so then I was like, well, I can't pack a lot of food because I'm already at my weight limit. Cam's already at his weight limit. Our buddy Owen's already going to be at his weight limit. So I simply couldn't really pack food. I couldn't pack fresh water or anything like that because the chopper actually struggled to get off the ground <laughs> once it was fueled up. And and then so that's the Fuck real story that. about it. Yeah. But those fucks won't tell you that part of the story. They yeah. won't be like, oh, we couldn't take food because the chopper couldn't carry it. They're always like, Adam didn't bring any food. Why am I responsible? Uh, no, the way Cam <laughs> described it was like, you guys had just made this conscious decision to try to rough it. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds better, right? <laughs> Let's go with that story. I thought it was pretty gangster. No, we did, because I was like, it will be part of the experience. We'll have to catch buffalo. We'll have to kill. We're going to kill. Come on. And, uh, and we did, you know, but that, the buffalo that we killed was so tough. I think it might have been Cam's first bull that he killed. It was so tough that you just chewed the meat. You got the liquid out of it, and then you had to take the meat out of your mouth because you couldn't break it down. Yeah. What? Oh, it was an old bull. It was a giant old bull. He told me that he was practicing with his bow with the same piece of meat in his mouth for 30 minutes. That sounds about right. That's insane. <laughs> now, what about the liver? I mean, couldn't you eat the liver? Uh, we could have. You'd want to check it over. It, most of Australian's, Australia's species and game are disease-free. Like, that's one of the beauties in Australia. You can cut the raw meat off any animal in Australia and just eat it. You won't get sick. If you do get sick, don't blame me, but you won't. You shouldn't get sick. <laughs> Let's just say you shouldn't get sick. you don't get, get sick, sick from drinking buffalo yeah, piss. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, just, just so tough. You but know. you didn't eat the, the, the liver? No, we didn't take it. We should have, now that you've said that. Yeah. I love liver. Yeah. I would have oh, gone I right for it. Oh, yum. Yeah. Cam don't eat that shit. Doesn't he? He won't eat heart. He won't eat liver. He's a pussy. So he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll run like 200 miles but won't eat liver. He Come runs on, for Cam. 78 hours in a row. He won't that's, eat a liver. Yeah. That's not impressive. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't like it, I yeah. guess. Get or, a new shirt, dude. <laughs> I don't eat liver. Eat liver. <laughs> I just don't understand it. I think yeah. it tastes delicious. But it's also really good for you. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's just, I think there's some sort of an obligation to eat as much of the animals as you yeah, can. Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, definitely. I'll do it Especially next Especially a majestic thing like yeah. an elk or... The, the indigenous population love it when we go out there for a hunt. because oh, yeah? Because that, that, that is three and a half days, four days drive from my house. To, to go there to go hunting um that's hard to take meat that far home you know where, where you're, your your vehicle if you're in a vehicle is already packed up and if you did the chopper thing you wouldn't be taking any out you'd have to uh, donate it all to the indigenous right so when we go out for a hunt they love it because we're shooting bulls and cutting up meat and how do they cook it no different than any of us would so how the fuck do they chew through that thing if if they're out on um if they're out of community which is like a like an outstation. They're on the land, you know. They're 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 out on the land. Um, most indigenous cook just by putting the meat straight in the fire. You know, still very traditional way. They just put the meat no in the grill. ashes. No just grill on the ashes. So if they if they killed a wallaby or a kangaroo, um, they 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 wouldn't gut it. They wouldn't skin it or anything. They'd throw it straight in the fire like that. And the skin's like a what would we wrap meat in? Like our foil or something like that mm -hmm. to cook it in the fire like that? The skin just acts like that and it gives the meat a lot of flavor and everything like that. How weird. It's just, why do we have to complicate things so much? Oh, let's put some our foil around it. Let's put some spices in there and stuff like that. Because it tastes better. Why, why does it taste better? Because we're so used to doing that. Mm. But if you'd never done that, if we'd never ever done that, meat would just taste good just how it is in plain. Hmm. 
Maybe, or maybe they figured out it tastes better with salt and pepper well, maybe, and definitely. garlic salt. <laughs> definitely, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's like some spice company that's going to go through uh, Indigenous Australia now, giving them more spices so that, that they get used to it. And they get addicted. Sales go up. Yeah, so they throw it on the fire without gutting it at all. Yep. And then do they eat the guts? Well, I don't think they eat the guts, just the meat and everything around it. Huh. They'd probably eat the organs and things. Same with fish. They'll just throw a fish straight on the fire. I've done that plenty of times. That's good good eating like that. And so it won't be scaled. And the scales act as like the protective barrier between the ashes and everything getting to the good meat. And cooking the fish better, it seals in all the, the flavor and taste and the juices. Once the fish is cooked, then you just sort of wipe the scales off and it's beautiful, clean, clean flesh right there. Huh. Hmm. I've never, hmm, that's interesting. I've never cooked anything on ashes, like flat on ashes we like will. that before. Okay. Yeah. You're going to need like a month in Australia. A month? What's a month? A month. Oh, a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, I thought it was a new animal that I needed to learn about. How about when I was about? in bear camp and I was like 18 north and he's like, what's 18? 18. That's how I say 18, 17, 16, 15. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys, you have an interesting way of saying words. Yeah, it's it's proper English. That's what it is. I don't think it is. It's but Australia <laughs> is different than English. Yeah. yeah, it's weird because you got if for, if you didn't know Australians, you guys sound like you're kind of English. Really? Yeah. Well, there's like South African. That's like there's me Australian. You well, we're close, <laughs> right? They only have a few words they say different than us, like a boat. A. Yeah, a a Up boat. Every a boat. Mm. Uh, we're going to uh, go uh, to uh, around about. Las Vegas, but they're polite. So Very it's all polite. Good. They're the most yeah. polite people ever. Mm. Canadians, Besides are, Australians, yeah. they're, they're pretty polite too. But mm. Canadians are like, for North America, they're the they're fucking kings. The kings, kings of politeness. But um, so back to this crazy hunt that you did with Cam. Mm. If you couldn't eat the buffalo, how the fuck did you guys? I mean, you kind of ate it. Well, you just chew it up, and you'd find a softer, softer spot. To and you guys lived chew off on. of that, yeah. That and barramundi for the whole trip. And What's a barramundi? Fish? Like a, yeah, real good fish. Like probably the best fish in the world. Oh, really? How yeah. Do you, how do you catch that? Lures. We took little fishing rods in and we took a couple of lures. Is it a freshwater or saltwater fish? They're both. Yeah. They where we, where did you guys catch them? Uh, well, we were camped right on the coast. and oh. um Yeah, it was, it was horrible in a sense. It was good, but it was horrible. It was nice because you'd get a wind each night, but it was horrible because you're near a lot of water and a river out mouth and the mosquitoes were like as soon as it started getting dark mosquitoes would be in plague precautions like your arms would go black covered in mosquitoes if you didn't put something on Whoa. like i said we had to go light so i only had one tiny little tube of like an insect repellent <laughs> and those mosquitoes are that brutal that you'd put that you know and they'd stay off you for like two minutes cam didn't even have a net so i would sleep i had a hammock and i'd sleep in a hammock and i had a net over me my back would just get smashed by mosquitoes because my back's just laying against the net. No, oh. no mattress or anything. I'd wake up in the morning just agonizing, wanting to scratch. And, and Cam was the same, you know. He, no net at all. They were just smashing his face all night. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. How do you – your eyes not swell shut. I don't know. So can, can you cover yourself up with mud or anything? Yeah, could if you went to that effort. I, I would have done it. Yeah, you would have done it. Fuck you, yeah, I'm a pussy. Yeah. I, don't like, I don't like mosquitoes. <laughs> no, it's just like – that, you just uh, dealt with it? Yeah. You know, it's not even part of the thought process in a sense when you're on a hunt like that because it's just you just want to be a part of the hunt, you know, and that's 
a part of the hunt. It's a miserable part of the hunt, but that's just a part of the hunt. I don't even like a fly buzzing around my head when I'm practicing in my backyard. Really? <laughs> flies will, flies will be breeding in the corner of my eye, and I'll just Whoa. hold a conversation, and people will be like, dude, <laughs> I can't talk to you anymore. And I'm like, what? What's up? You know, and there's like, he's like, there's a fucking fly fucking in the corner of your mouth. <laughs> like, can you shoot it? And I, oh, yeah. You're you just, just get so used, used to, to it. it. Yeah. How many days did you guys do that hunt? Um, must have been eight. I think it was eight in the end. Now, when you decided to climb into that water to cool off, you didn't consider the possibility that there was crocodiles yeah. in there. Yeah, the water was muddy, and it's hard to tell if it's muddy because there's a big saltwater crocodile stirring it up, or <laughs> because the buffalo go and wallow in every bit of water there is. Right. So um, we walk the edge and you look for crocodile slides, croc slides. Doesn't mean there's no crocs there if there's no croc slides, but we walk the edge and there was no croc slides. Now, and Owen's a local, he's a teacher up in the indigenous community there. He knows the waters pretty well. You can't, it's hard to tell if a croc's moved in there over the season or, or anything like that, but we walk the edge and you're just that desperate to get wet. Like, Cam was even to the point where he's like, can we just die? I, I'd, I'd actually prefer to cool off and then die. Let's just do it. And then, wow. and you're the same. Like, you're desperate. It's that hot that you're just desperate. And right. in a sense, sense, I think it was essential to get in the water at that point to get rehydrated, you know, just through skin intake. And um, the water was the same temperature as outside. Like, you'd go into the water and you couldn't feel that you're going into liquid because the water's that hot as well. It's just been boiling in the sun. But to lay in there and just chill out in the mud, and every now and then you'd, because it's all muddy bottom, every now and then you'd sort of push the mud out and it'd release some cooler waters that sort of hadn't been cooked by the sun. It'd be like, oh, ha, ha. <laughs> That's what I mean. You, you really have to go through that shit to appreciate things in life. And one of those things that oh. I just appreciated in life was pushing through the mud and getting a little bit cooler water, you know. It's like, oh, this is paradise. And then two seconds later, you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable as shit, you know. Well, the fact that people live that way and struggle through those kind of environments and those kind of temperatures mm-hmm. for untold years yeah, before they ever figure out ice Ah, ice, the refrigerator. Awesome. Eskimos. Air conditioning. Not Eskimos. That'd be, oh. They were like, heat, baby, heat. Yeah, that's another extreme. Have you ever seen when people go up there and, uh, and go hunting in, like, Nunavak? Yeah. Those, they go uh, hunting for uh, those crazy. fucking big hairy things. What's those big hairy things? Um, uh, mu- ox. Musk yeah, muskox. Yeah. Muskox. Yeah. That thing is ridiculous. That, yeah. that looks like a Star Wars animal. Yeah, it does, yeah. It doesn't even look real. Cut the guts open and crawl in and get warm. Yeah, I mean... I've seen those things, and you just go, well, that, okay, so people live up there, and they hunt those things, and then they live down where you are, mm. and they Complete. hope for cool mud. Yeah. Those buffalo that we hunt, it'll be like, you'll think, ah, oh, there's got, not going to be anything out anywhere today. It's stinking hot. Everything will be in the shade under a tree or tucked under a riverbank or something like that. Those buffalo, as black as they are, will be standing out in the open, complete sun, just grazing, not, nothing even bothering, or bothering them. Now, most people listening to this have no idea what a scrub bull is. They scrub hear bull. they hear the term scrub bull, they don't know what it means, but it's a Basically, domestic cow. Domestic, a domestic cow that's that's gone, gone wild. wild over many, many centuries in Australia. They've all interbred and it's a you know, they're pretty crazy looking. That's a scrub bull. Wow. Yeah, look like, how cool that thing that's looks. That's like a Brahmin there. So he's he's a bit of a breed bull. Look at the back on that thing. What a strange hump. And and all it is is that bull would be living in country where a lot of different other scrub bulls haven't come through. So it's still a fully wild bull, but yeah. Whoa. 
Yeah, nice scrubber. <laughs> scrubber. What is that one right next to it, Jamie? That's With nice. the crazy horns, yeah. Yeah, he's a big boy. Whoa. That's a scrub bill, too? Yeah, uh, that's... Man, that's in America. Look at the trees in the background. Those are American Come trees? On. Is that it? It says yeah. Canada. Oh, Canada. What is that? Same thing, right? No. <laughs> they can't even come over here unless we let them. Um, and they don't let us over here, over there, if you got a drunk driving conviction. So they have scrub bulls in Canada? That's weird. I've never seen that before. I thought that was an Australian thing. Yeah. What is that one down there? These people are just fucking shooting their cows. Yeah, he'd be a scrubber. They're all wow. They're what a weird. Okay, so that's a buffalo. That's not a scrub bull. Yeah, that's a big water buffalo. What a crazy thing that is. So that is something they're from so Asia, good to hunt. correct? Yeah, from Asia. What it, kind is that? That's a water buffalo. Just just call the water buffalo. Yep. So there's the Cape buffalo that are from Africa. Mm -hmm. What is that one? The not the lower left corner, but the one right next to it, Jamie. Yeah. What is that? What the fuck is That's that? That's a good scrub bull. God See all damn. The, how all the colors vary in that? Because they're real interbred animal, you know, and that's why... Interbred uh, with... Other other variety of cattle. Mm. Now, the, the meat value is not as good or the breeding value is not as good because they're bitters. They're a bit of this and they're a bit of that. They're a bit of everything. It's like a dog, you know. You buy a purebred dog mm. or you buy a mongrel, which is, you know, a couple of different species in one. What has the big value is the purebred, Right. Right. And it's the same with these cattle. So the the, the big um, issue with the, the cattle industry, especially in these northern parts of Australia, is these these scrub bulls, these feral cattle, don't have any respect for fences. They'll just walk straight through a fence into a farmer's prized cattle and start breeding with his prized cattle. And then all those calves that he gets aren't the purebred cattle anymore. So it's really uh, bad for the industry. So they knock the fence down? They get some cow pussy that's pretty much it <laughs> and uh so which is big probably issue. what would happen in america if those cows that i saw wandering around if they were allowed to have balls and yeah roam yeah. free yeah. and stay out there they'd eventually become just so, like that, huh? that that's right so they're just an unchecked species of animal in australia the scrub bull and uh they're just free to come and go wherever they want so so a lot of farmers uh, really push to to shoot them out or get them cold or round it up or or off their property aren't they unbelievably aggressive too? they're super aggressive more yeah. aggressive than a buffalo yeah wow why uh, i wonder why i don't know because they're pissed off because they're interbred really yeah they, oh, <laughs> that's definitely not why <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They're just a cranky animal. We've also got... Uh, well, bulls are pretty fucking aggressive. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the bulls, uh, I'm talking like bull cows yeah. that we have in America. That's why people ride them. They only get eight seconds if they're lucky. Yeah. They're trained to be like that, though, right? I don't know. Some are of they? them are just natural. I don't know. Naturally pissed off. It's a good question because, like, when you see, like, bullfighters, are those bulls trained to try to fuck up the matador? I, I mean... Know. I don't know. Our scrub bulls would just do that shit off their own back, I can tell you now. They're, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. They're really aggressive. We've I mean, got bangtang bulls as well. I've heard of those bang -tang things. Bangtang cattle? What's, yeah, what like is barley a, cattle. What's a bangtang? What does it look like? Uh, Jamie will bring one up, no doubt. How do you say it? Bangtang. Or, or spell it, excuse me. Um, B-A-N-G-T-E-N-G. Ah, bangtang. Yeah, I believe. You, you and one, bring it up. It's one word? One word, yeah, bangtang. Hmm. So back home... In there their, it is. that native lands, they're nearly extinct. So that they'll be back home. They'll be back home. 
Okay, so Indonesia. in Indonesia they're almost extinct, but yeah. in America or rather Australia they they run wild. And they're like a velvet skin cattle. Yeah, they run wild. Velvet skin. Yeah. Whoa, look, look at the skin. Man, they are a beautiful creature. What a weird looking cow. Yeah, they're such a good creature. Type in um, Good Hand Outback Experience. That's one of my buddies that guides there for anyone interested. And uh, he's got access to these bangtang on some of the most beautiful country that you've ever seen, like in Northern Australia. Yeah, bring up something from Carl's there. Like, hmm. yeah, Is a, that a bangtang? Yeah, he's an old one. See that wow. boss going across the head? It looks like their skin is suede. Yeah. And they will charge on movement. Really? One of those old bulls, if they see movement, they'll they'll prefer to come at you than turn away because there's a risk in turning their back to you, right? Right. If you get within a cert, certain distance, and um, there's Carl there with the Yeti hat on. He, um, I shot one last year or the year before with Carl, and it comes straight at us. And uh, Carl's carrying a, a big gun, like I shot it with the bow, and Carl lifted up the gun and he shot this. Bang Tang as it was charging, it literally dropped nine feet from Carl. Like it just looked straight at him and just hammered straight at him. I got a second shot off as it was running and actually uh, broke its leg, which made it stumble. And then it just came straight back up and kept coming to Carl. And he pulled the gun up and he shot it straight between the eyes. It was an amazing shot. Yeah, don't that hunt one of those thing, with a bow, by the way. That <laughs> thing, man, they will tear you up. They're a scary critter. What a weird animal. Well, I guess it's because you fucking shot it with a bow and arrow too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably very upset with you. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems it like a, a crazy shot. idea to shoot mm-hmm. one of those things by yourself, though. Like, you almost have to have a rifle backup. Yeah. But if um, that's the case, why hunt it with a bow? Exactly. You have to have a rifle backup. You probably the only hunt it with a rifle. The first hunt that I did with buffalo was with a gun. The very first time I went was... Sounds like a good move. No, I had the bow. My buddy had the gun. Oh. Yeah, my buddy Aaron Grant is a really good shot, too. So I was like... Hey, you want to come on this trip with me? <laughs> It'll be good. You can shoot one. But in that case, like, why not just hunt with a rifle? Because you're not going to kill it you, with a bow that quick. Yes. And it's going to... Might. You can. You can. 95% of the time you can. That 5% is a motherfucker, isn't it? So I shot three bulls on that trip. I got three complete pass-throughs with Aaron. I got three bulls that died right in view. I didn't have a single issue, you know. But what the rifle done is it got you to go to places that you usually wouldn't. Like, that bull's out in the open. And if you didn't have a rifle back up behind you, you probably wouldn't proceed out there and be like, I'm gonna, there's no trees around the climb. I'm going to shoot that bull. But when you've got a rifle, it makes you a little bit gamer. Like, you know, obviously my buddy Aaron's on, you know, he's just waiting for shit to go south and he's going to pull a gun up and, and give it one. That didn't happen. All my other trips since, I've never hunted with rifle backup, but you've got to know your, you've got to know your boundaries you know, like there's a big lone bull out there. There's no trees. He's right out in the open. You take a shot at him. He's the first thing you look. He looks at. He's going to clean you up. And they do it. You know that that's that thing happens. So fuck that. That seems ridiculous. Fuck that. You're fuck coming that. to do it. No. Bullshit. No. 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 Yeah, no. No. You're not it. doing that. You're laughing up. <clears throat> that doesn't. What? Uh, what's the the least likely to kill you if you shoot it? A buffalo. We'll go buffalo hunting. Really? No. No. Hell no. That's the least likely to kill you, a freaking rabbit. Oh, rabbits are good. Yeah, rabbits are good. <laughs> Come out to Australia to hunt a rabbit. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you have to kill a lot of them, don't you? you have, they're overpopulated. Yeah, they're overpopulated. you got to skewer them. Yeah. Get as many as you want. It's, it's a funny thing. As big as that animal is, you know, and, and me saying know your boundaries, if you do the right shot on that animal, that's the first thing. You know, you've got to make sure that shot's right, the angle's right. 
you know, you're confident with your bow, you put that shot into the to the right spot, then there's no risk because mm-hmm. that, that that animal's dead before it gets to you. Staying still after the shot, you know, like I said, I'm not the person to shoot something and go, yes, yes, I shot it. I'm not like, not like that. I think it's a little bit disrespectful even, but it's also... It's also dangerous and it's unpeaceful for the animal because you do that gives the animal an adrenaline boost. Animals with an adrenaline boost, man, that's that's a hell reckoning, you know. Especially a buffalo. Yeah, or buffalo. You know that will carry them. It might make um, it might make their death longer because you know they're filled with adrenaline and stuff like that. You shoot an animal and you be quiet. You put the shot in the right spot. It's so peaceful. I've actually shot things and they've been like, what was that? put their head down to start feeding again and toppled over while they're feeding they don't even know they're hit that's that's one of the beauties about bowing it's that mm. peaceful and that's why you don't carry on like a friggin jerk right once you shoot something you know just quiet nice and humble the animal dies peacefully that's what every hunter should strive for yeah it's um also you would have to have the proper equipment right if you're going to penetrate the side of a buffalo you have to have a very strong bow and heavy arrows yeah um I like that because you can't tell if you're going to hit a rib on the way in or the way out. And with my setup, like uh, I mostly shoot 70 pounds when I'm shooting 80 at the moment. And that heavier arrow and a solid one piece, it's just a solid piece of steel, two blade broided, those VPA broided. Shane Doran shoots them as well by Vantage Point Archery. It's 150 grains. That's a heavy broadhead. Yeah, then it's got a decent insert behind it, like 92 grain insert. And then um, a nice heavy shaft. And then let's just talk about the 80-pound bow. With that 80 pounds, I can find a rib on the way in on a buffalo and I can find a rib on the way out and that arrow is still just going to bust straight through, through through there. Now, how heavy is the arrow? It's about, they well, depends what I'm shooting, but with the 80-pound, I'm shooting 670 grains. Wow. Yeah, and with the 70-pound bow, it's not much different. It's about 620 grains. 670 grains is really heavy. Yeah, but that makes a quiet bow, and it makes a punch when it hits animals. And how many feet per second are you getting out of that? I don't know. I don't even get into that technical shit. Do you uh, do you it's do sight tapes, or do you do it by, uh, by eye and then write it on the tape? No, i got sight tapes. So how do you calculate your sight tapes um, if you don't? Well, I've got the trophy taker or option archery uh-huh. sight now, and it's uh, the option five or option six sight. It's got an adjustable pin. Right. Or you've got all your fixed pins that you flip in place. Now, with that one, I just shoot my 20, and I actually shoot all my pins in out the 50, and mm-hmm. then I match it up with the, the sight tape, and then I stick that on the bow at the the 20-meter mark. So then when I pull the multiple pin out of the way, I've just got the single pin that winds up and down the damn marks. So obviously, right. I shoot it and check it, which I have, and it's spot on. It's perfect. Okay, so you don't do anything like Archer's Advantage, do it through a nope. computer calculation? No, That's I just, interesting. I just like shooting it all myself. It's so heavy. I will move each pin for that shot. So I'll, I'll shoot in, um, you know, 0 to 20, the, the first pin, and then I'll walk back to 30, and I'll shoot, and I'll just to keep keep shooting and adjusting that you know in tiny little increments if i have to and do you have like a range at your house that you do all this i do it all up on the farm you know i sent you those photos Mm -hmm. that time of that cabin that i built that's amazing yeah cabin's incredible i just just got a crazy i can shoot as far as i like well let me tell you we're we're almost done here but let me let me tell you uh people about your uh photography too because you take some incredible Mm. photography when you're out and where you have this like a book that you made of your photography that i got a chance to look at yeah, did I have to bring that along, did I? That's cool. Um, Must have had Bear Camp. You brought it somewhere. Yeah, yeah you brought it Bear Camp. Yeah, yeah, you brought it to Bear Camp, but also you sent me to your website too, and I got a chance to look at some of the photos that you have up. Yeah. 
You, t- you take some amazing pictures, Yeah, I man. love it. That's the other thing that I carry in my pack, and people people freak because it's the Canon 5D, the Mark III. It's an external flash, spare batteries. It weighs a ton right there. How much does it weigh? Not a ton, but... <laughs> 20 pounds? <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be. Yeah, is that what you've yeah. got? Is that the it? 5D. Same camera? Oh, yeah. can I hold it? Jamie's oh, got it. Then add a flash, like a big full-size external flash to that, and yeah, batteries. This, this feels heavy. That's a lot in the pack. This but feels like it's probably 10 pounds, right? The yeah. end result of that is... That's how you get those those crazy photos. Wow. Do you Definitely. carry a tripod as well? Yeah, I carry a little tripod. Yeah. Wow. Now, do, do you use shots. the tri- same tripod? Wow. Oh, look, at that. Shot, look at that. Photography. You know, people can actually go to First Man Image, which is a, another Instagram account that I've got. God, that picture's incredible. And there's a heap of pictures like that on there. Now, this picture um, is from how long ago, Jamie? That's Idaho. That's just the other day. Yesterday, one day ago. Now, how do you take this photo, like where you see all those stars? Is it just setting the aperture correctly? Yeah, it's setting the aperture correctly. The lens that I use, it's a it's a Sigma art lens. It's a 20 mil lens, and the f-stop on that lens is only like 1.4. Like that's super super low, right? What does that mean? I don't know shit about photography. <laughs> like your eye being closed up, and then you know, say 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 an f4, right? Your right. eyes really closed up, and and. Uh, F 1.4 would be like that. Mm-hmm. Like imagine how much more light and everything right. you could get in. That's probably a basic way of explaining it. Okay. And then um, I will – so I'll set the camera up. It's got to be on a tripod because that's like a, a – oh, there you oh, go. Okay, there Jamie's go. got to explain. Hey, I got it right. F number, Wikipedia. It's, a ex, uh, it's like exponentially larger. Every time you mm-hmm. drop in, a, in the increment, it gets – exponentially larger and then as you go higher in f-stops it'll get smaller so okay there you go so i'm self-taught this is all like i just self-taught taught so i'm not really into the lingo but there you go i got oh, it right so yes. the same thing is with bow hunting you're self-taught with photography self-taught, as well yeah so what happens when you live out in the jungle <laughs> fucking bang tangs exactly and wild snakes and but, shit so that that's obviously set up on a tripod and it's about a, a 15 second exposure so that, you know that, that it's open for 15 seconds mm-hmm. it gathers in a lot more light god damn that is that's montana fucking there. beautiful yeah. well how many days ago is that from jamie Six, Six days, days ago, yeah. God, that's that is your tent. This what a amazing yeah, picture. Tent, this yeah. is your tent, and your tent looks like. Did you have like a headlamp inside the tent or something that illuminated yeah, it? Tiny little headlamp. Yeah. So you left that on. Left that on, and then set the camera up. And God, yeah. The stars, man. So that's what you're seeing every night while you're camping up there. Yep. Every night until the moon come out. <sighs> man, that's fucking pretty. Oh, I love moonless nights. Just just for that. Oh, moonless nights reason. are the best. Yeah, it's nothing like that. That view of the Milky Way is insane. Yeah. Hey, if you can, Jamie, if you go back a little bit, and you'll see you'll see some dead buffalo pictures. And uh, around that time, I was taking some star shots when I was in Arnhem Land, and because there's no artificial, there's no no lights. light pollution anywhere up right. there. The stars with the naked eye, like the 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 aperture and everything, can come back so much further on those nights because it's just even with the human eye, it's just crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's just lit up. Like you could actually walk around in the dark, just lit off the Milky Way. No, no moon. You could walk around in the dark up there just because there's so many more stars that you can see. It's crazy, and your eyes wow. just open up to it. There's wow. a benefit of bowing, people, or the outdoors. Don't even get in the bowing. Just go camping in the outdoors. Nah, you might have to go up a little bit. That's pretty cool, though. That was a Fuck so- that's solo cool. camp that I had. Go up or down? Um, older. Older. 
that's that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Whoa! Oh my god! Check that shit That's out. like you're in a spaceship. Yeah. I mean, that really is like a spaceship. Yeah. So Fuck. yeah, if anyone's, if any of your listeners are into um, the outdoors and not necessarily killing, because obviously Adam Green Tree Bowening's got a lot of um, harvest kills on it. Um, if you're just into photography, just go to First Man Image and um, First Man of, Image. First Man Image. Adam. Oh. Adam, I get it. There First man, like Adam and Do Eve. Do you know how many people didn't get that? Yeah. Nobody, me. I'm like, I just. I'm one that of name. the latest who didn't get it. First man image on what? On Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Um, is it? Do you spell it in some sort of weird Australian way? First dot man dot oh. image. Is that what it is? I think so. Oh, so it's Adam dot Green Tree dot Bowhunter. If you're interested in looking at dead animals and stars. And if you just want photography, first man, first dot man dot image. And you're a pussy if you only go to that one. <laughs> How dare you? First dot yeah. man dot image. Oh, oh yeah, man. God yeah. damn, you take some pretty pictures, dude. That's amazing that you're sure self-taught. I've been thinking about it lately that I need to get into photography at least somewhat. Yeah. To just take pictures you other than with do my it. iPhone. I just that's the best when you do so much it's the best way to capture a memory because I can look back on the photos now and go, that's right. How cool is that or whatever. I, sometimes I do so much and I get carried away of doing so much hunting that it's like if I didn't take a photo, I'd actually forget that moment because right. there's so much happening. So, And I just love showing it to my kids and friends and people that are interested. And I, it, You know, it's a really good promotion for the sport, you know. I used to think... Um, do you call hunting a sport? I don't. I hate that word. But you just used it. I, I know. Yeah, it's a common word that Literally people use. correct it. me. Yeah, I just... Uh, I feel like there's it a better word for it, like natural life. Like a discipline. The natural part of me or discipline. I think discipline is a better word for it. I, I hear the sport, like you're, you know, uh, welcome to the sport, glad you're getting mm. involved in the sport. I'm like, oh. So, like, or we could call it a pastime. I've called it a pastime a lot. Yeah, but a pastime doesn't seem significant enough. It doesn't, yeah. It seems like it's not, uh, not resp- I mean, you shoot an elk, is that a pastime? No. It's uh, way more than yeah. that. It's like, yeah. A life experience, who yeah. I am, it's what a, we are. And then some, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you're getting into the sport, uh, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Shit. See? If you're getting into bow hunting, <sighs> I guarantee you, you wish you found that 20 years ago. Bow hunting? Yeah. Uh, would it, uh, you know what? I'm happy I found it when I found you're it. Fi- of course. So I'm busy. I used to hate the idea of someone's going to go through life and never find this connection. Mm. And that's the big push for me to to promote bow hunting um i've written for the uh, australian outdoor magazines for like 12 years now and and a lot of people think it's like a self-promotion like oh, i don't care i don't i don't care if i didn't have any viewers at all as long as people were getting uh that exposure i was putting that out there for people to go oh i should try this it looks cool this dude's really enjoying it there's here's the benefits in it and going and doing it because it drives me nuts just thinking that someone should have that connection they just don't know it yet because a lot of the guys especially the older guys that i've introduced to bow hunting have always been like man i would have never known about this before and they've just got now i can't imagine them as anything else but hunters you Mm. know because they just thrive on it that much and it's done so much for their lives or just the outdoors some guys that get get into it try it and be like it's not for me but i really love camping and being out there in the wilderness and even archery yeah, definitely. Just shooting a target for me is like a form of therapy. Yeah, it's like it's a like, zen moment. Yeah, there's mm. so much concentration going on that it cleanses your mind. And if I can shoot bows for an hour every day, mm. man, it just uh, it, it, it's, it alleviates stress in some sort of a strange 
like you know, for lack of a better word, Zen way. Yeah, yeah. What, that might be what, the best word for it, actually. What you were talking about earlier, like going out to the wilderness, no technology or mm-hmm. anything like that. What it does to the mind is it frees the mind. It like it's like it resets me. It's like hitting a reset button. It's all good. It's all fresh now. You know, it's just gives you time to think you know yeah and even people that are, aren't into hunting i totally understand that and like i said I'm, i've been really paying attention a lot to um uh people that do these long-term hikes and also overlanding people that just go on these crazy adventures mm. like they get off the beaten path and they develop these vehicles that are capable of driving over adverse conditions and they just figure out a way to live yeah. out there in the desert or out there in the mountains. It's fascinating to me because there's a longing, I think, that people have to get away from the concrete, to get away from the electricity and to just just feel the stillness mm. of the actual world, mm. Unencumber- unencumbered, un- 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 just uncompressed. Yeah. By by civilization and buildings and language and when you're out there, man, I don't, I've never done what you've done, but when you're out there for eleven days, you don't even talk to anybody for eleven days. This so this trip I did because I had internet service at the top or reception, so, and I kept doing this uh, Insta stories, you know. Yeah, those were great, by the way. Oh, you were watching them? Yeah, cool. I watched all of them. Yeah. I, I wish you saved them though. The oh, thing no, about that Insta sucks. stories, they disappear. That absolutely sucks. You know, what Hoyt need to do if you're listening next year, send a photographer out or a, or a film dude, and we'll film the whole thing. Yeah, but then some dude's gonna be talking to you and complaining. Nah, nah, and that's, farting. that's the rules. He can't talk. He's got to have his own ah, campsite and shit like that. Can't jump in if a bear's trying Someone's to eat me. Someone's just gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> can't even help you from thing. a bear, huh? But um, so that sucked. But um, I've had trips where you don't talk to people for days and days on end, and just the fact of uh, coming back into civilization and opening your mouth feels weird. To feels, talk. Oh, it feels absolutely weird. But and even when you're talking up there, you're not talking it's to still anybody. Not, no, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to the phone. You're yeah. like, hey, I'm up here. I just you heard a wolf. You tend to talk to yourself fucked. every now and then. You do. You, you seriously yeah. do. Every now and then you'd be like, and you you just, and then you think like, why do they say that out loud? Mm. Because you haven't interacted with anyone for so long. Yeah. You know, it'll be something like, oh, you fell over, you friggin' dummy. <laughs> you know? Right. Which happened a few times. Well, you definitely don't want to break a leg up there. Nah, you'd be screwed. Did you bring a satellite phone? Yeah, I had a satellite phone. Yeah. So in case shit goes bad. Yeah, and it's got an SOS button built into it. Mm. You know, that uh, I even say it to Kim, my wife. You know, like you don't see that side of things, but I do actually take precautions. Mm. I take a sat phone. That's it. <laughs> and a gun. No, there's 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 management within within it, but you but you just don't see it. Well, listen, dude. There's a very small handful of people, even in the hunting world, that are doing what you're doing. That are taking those kind of crazy adventures and and just diving into it. It's awesome, man. I was I was really blown away by those Instagram stories and following you every day. Yeah. I follow you several times a day. I would go in and really? check in on that's it, weird. make sure everything's going on. No, man, come on. Stalker. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. Cause I never see you liking any of my shit. Oh man, I'm like, I, I hope he's seeing this. I should probably like things more. Yeah. I just look at them. I yeah. enjoy them. I need to hit that little heart button. People yeah. love you when you hit that heart button. Yeah, for sure. All right, I'll give start a, doing give it a little bit of love. I'll give you a little love, love. You need to do one of them trips. No, don't. No. Yes, you do. Definitely I'm don't. telling you, you'll friggin' thrive on it, dude. It's interesting. I don't think I'd do. Yeah, mm. you would. You'd love it. Uh, I don't mind. I would like to go and do, you know, like a deep backpack trip, but mm-hmm. solo, I don't know about all that. I don't want anybody finding my sneakers. And, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and fuck, a foot still legs. inside from yeah. wolf marks all over it. 
That would be so ironic if yeah. I had eaten by the wolves that I love so much. Uh, yeah, that's that's funny. Like that. that well, hey, brother, thank you very much for doing this. It was a Thanks lot of fun. Really show. appreciate it. It's always cool hanging out with you. Yeah. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Awesome. And uh, again, adam.greentree.bowhunter on Instagram. And where else can people get you? First.man.image on Instagram. Or you can find both of those on Facebook as well. And you have a website? No website. No website? Yeah. Yeah. No website and no weirdos. Thank you. No weirdos. (laughs) All right, folks. Thank you very much. See you soon. Bye. Killer. That was great, man. That was good.